the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five career-altering beatings in MMA with special guest co-host Chris Rennie. Strap in. We shed the year. We shed each day. In love together. is up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i'm your host dan tom analyst is work you can find over at mmajunkie.com but on this year program the protect your neck podcast we break down high level mma in a slightly different way as you can see if you're on youtube thanks for subscribing liking the video down below daniel tom mma or on apple podcast appreciate those five star ratings and reviews it's a top five show, and as you can see, or maybe you've heard if you're on the audio version, uh, the giggling or the hand signals, uh, we weren't uh, reenacting Wayne's World. That's definitely what was not happening. But I do have a, a good friend on the show, Chris Rennie, at Rennie MMA of Bloody Elbow. Uh, you can find his work at chrisrennie.com or support his Patreon because we need to all support good artists, especially in a space like MMA that lacks good people, good artists, etc. You can find that at patreon.com slash chrisrennie. What's up, Chris? Man, Dan, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I love your top five shows. I've always wanted to be on one, and uh, thanks for having me on. Dude, it's it's way overdue, man. Like I, I've been meaning to have you on for, for forever. I, you, you know, you've been one of the few that have been submitting ideas. Uh, you know, I don't think it's too much of a burn, but you submitted like top five club and subs, which I still intend on doing with you, like mm-hmm. way back in the day, like a couple years ago. I want to say at this point. And then the one we're going to be covering today, uh, as you see in the title, folks, top five career-altering beatings, uh, an even better idea, um, and, and, and definitely a theme that runs runs the gamut. So uh, you're too kind for listening to this show. I don't know what's wrong with you. You've got two kids, my friend. Uh, you, uh, you shouldn't be listening to this show, but I do appreciate it. I do appreciate you coming on, man, because, again, uh, you know, someone I can shoot the shit with, an artist, uh, a connoisseur of the sport, and so on. Thank you, man. Hey, listen, it's... I think when, when you watch the sport as long as we do, uh, you you feel like things get lost in the shuffle, and it really these these kind of things really help to solidify uh, pivotal moments in your in your mind. You know, uh, you know, uh, there, there are certain people like their highlight their highlights uh, kind of exist, but they they lose context. And I think shows like these really um, help even like uh, newer fans kind of like, oh, okay, this. Put the, put the building blocks together. It's like putting a Jenga back together. Yeah, and that's what I hope at least. Like, again, like uh, you know, uh, as far as hardcore following the sport, I've been aware since the 90s. But as, as far as hardcore following, like, I'll come clean. I was, I was a tough noob, but uh, even a tough noob at this point feels like forever to your point, yeah. right, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. And, and uh, so it, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, we're coming at this from an all-knowing encyclopedia. This is more just like, we're both being able, like, what, what, I think a theater teacher told me this, a theater professor in college said, uh, when we tell stories, we're not telling them for other people, we're telling them for ourselves, which I do yes, believe 100%. is, is it, I do believe is very true, right? This is true with a lot of art, uh, you could say. However, um, 
genuinely and non-selfishly, I would like to hope to your point, Chris, that like a newer listener could listen to this and be like, plant some, we could plant some seeds in their head and be like, I've heard of this guy. Like, I just thought, you know, he, he, he always sucked. Like, oh, I got to go back a decade ago and watch these fights or that fight or what this happened. There's no way that something happened like that in the sport. Like, no, it did. You just got to go back and watch it. So to your point, hopefully these shows help with that. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think they will. Hey, before we get going, you said you, uh, I know, uh, by the way, um, for people that, I mean, I, I don't want to plug something that's, you know, uh, you know, as far as hard copies go, but you've been working on, I just got to give it a shout. I mean, you've been working on something that I've been lucky enough to grab, you know, two volumes of, and I got to know, I know you've already teased it in another video. This is going to be a, a mainstay, but, um, I guess talk about some of your work and I'll let you, I got uh, your Twitch channel also plugged here. I know you're mm -hmm. going to start those ventures. Yeah. I think um, in September to go live. But just, just really quick. I mean, just, 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 just. I know you know we're not the, like the plugging types. But again, I, I said it kind of offhand. I said it before we we, we started. So I want to make sure I get this out there. Like, we don't have enough artists in this space, and it's it's really appreciated. And somebody who I don't want to say comes from my. I, I studied in school and I did poorly because I'm just a poor student and I never follow oh, through yeah. with my art. Which there's preach, some really preach, poor students. <laughs> hey, there, I got some funny stories, man. That you know that tie with uh, you know I. I there's some reasons perhaps maybe I got offset from art, neither here nor there. This isn't about me. But um, when I see someone like you that's like actually like an artist and actually putting good art there and you've actually traveled to places, you know, I've been to, but, you know, haven't haven't studied, you know, in like Italy and whatnot. Um, um, and, and you appreciate history as well. You know, what makes you want to restore the history, you know, uh, keep track of the history of this crazy, uh, crazy, you know, uh, degenerate sport in MMA, man? What, what's going on here? <laughs> I think that an artist somehow like you you look at the, number one art is one of the only things that survives from past civilizations if you want to like think to yourself like what was it like for the Romans there's a very good chance whatever you it comes right into your mind is somehow related to the creative arts whether it's the uh, the uh, what you would call the fashion or the seamstress things of like the legions, the, you know, the fashioning of their helmets and, and their, you know, the, the gauntlets and things like that. Like those are part of the creative, uh, uh, arts, you know, and they're, they're the way you tell the story, the craftsmanship, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, the Colosseum boom just springs to mind and it literally is like a piece of architecture, you know, and it's, and it's the combination of, uh, the things that people create, like you said, they tell the story of who those people were. You know, you say Italy and it's like, boom, the David, boom, the, the Sistine Chapel ceiling. You know, these things help us understand where a society was at a certain point in time. Like, oh, Italy in the 1400s, they were, you know, uh, at the pinnacle of their cultural contributions, you know, and you, Oh, okay. It gives some context, you know, uh, I could go on, but basically I am here. I'm looking at the world around me and I see that MMA, it's a, it's a new sport. It did not exist 50 years ago. It's, it's a, it's a, it's something that was created today. It's a, it is a symbol of the 21st century. It's a symbol of global, excuse me, globalization, you know, the flattening of, of, of the borders between countries. You don't say, you know, MMA is a, a particular, is, is particular to a country. It, it is more representative of the flattening of the world. And 
you know, I'm here. I'm here to, to document it. I'm here to draw it. I'm here to enshrine it, whatever you want to call it. And um, I also enjoy the sport. I'm here to reflect what's happening in the world. So when all when we're all dead and gone, people will be like, look at that guy, Chris Sweeney's work. That's what was happening back then. That's what that's what was going on in the world. Well, I feel like it's a great kind of segue into this, you know, uh, topic. Because if you read the topic, you can be like, oh, these guys just want to talk about dudes getting their ass kicked, you know, which you know, at uh, face value. But uh, to let us know, you know, we're we're not all bad. No, just kidding. No, like uh, we're you know, we come from a place where not just we've been watching the sport or any of those. You know, and not to be like nose in the air about it or anything like that, but but not those typical standards that will usually be said, but also that we appreciate art because it may, even though you did a great job of relating it, it may seem unrelated to some, but um, I always had this saying uh, before I even knew of a, you know, of, of a guy named Musashi, uh, and it, it was kind of a similar note to one of his quotes, though, why I reference him, which is like, I used to always say as a kid, like, if you're an artist in one way, you're an artist in, 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 in many or every because that was the only way I could explain why I love music, why I love drawing, why I love martial arts. And they're very different things to performative, to introvertive, to somewhere in the middle, uh, depending on where you want to take it with martial arts. Right. But they are also all very connected. And when you say about the Coliseum, which I've been to, and like it gives you that effect, there is something about a, a building and a historical site. Right. But there's also something about art. Now, for example, the, the parallel I'm about to give, which I didn't realize until you're talking, maybe that's why I enjoy it. And I, I don't even think I said the title, The Fine Art of Violence of Volume 22. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, I, I'm I, sorry. That's my. I, I have it written right. I have all the stuff written right here, too. I'm just terrible. I, I tell my podcasters like this I write a page of notes, and I'm lucky, especially on breakdown episodes, I will get to maybe one or two of those notes. I will talk yeah. about everything outside of the notes that's like irrelevant to the podcast, getting me sidetracked. I will forget about the notes often. Uh, we will get to this list though, but I just wanted to really add in like that um, the Coliseum parallel in history. Obviously, I'm also you know uh, you know I, I appreciate some uh, some Asian history, some Chinese history. Not very talked about at all in our our, our textbooks. I you know yeah, here yeah. in North America. So when I was visiting there, I was just like, what? Wow! I couldn't believe how old all these things were. Right. And uh, I could go and wax on about that, but tying it to martial arts, I got to go to the Shaolin Temple, which was uh, the basis for both my trips to China uh, mm. back like 20 years ago. And, you know, seeing, you know, a building, uh, whether it was the, the parts that stayed up or the parts that were even rebuilt after the government, you know, tore it down in the 30s, um, there was something like mythical about it because I grew up watching all those, you know, you know, Shaolin Wooden Men, the Hall of the Wooden Men with Jackie Chan and all the 70s, you know, martial arts, oh, okay. kung fu stuff. Yeah. So when I was going there, like I had a, you know, a Sony Discman, you know, to kind of quote the times there. I remember yep. like burning CDs was just a new thing. So I made a mix. Like I was such a nerd. I had like, I can fuck like half of it was like the Star Wars score because I thought I was like going to the Jedi Temple and shit to test. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. But, <laughs> but when I get there, what, what actually sentiments me with the most is we get to, for part of the, it's like a three-day test, right? And they're like waking us up um, in the middle of the night, marching us out, this and that. But at the end of the test, we get to go and spar, fight, but spar, even though it was no pads and probably some of the hardest sparring I did that was cl closest to a fight, granted. But the okay. last part of the test was sparring. We had to do it in this place, and it was cool because you know our martial arts company uh, had a business relationship with the Shaolin Temple, which was like their first business relationship because that's not their thing. But they kind of had to survive turn of the 
anyways, uh, 21st right. century there. But um, it, like a lot that. of politics, a lot of politics. But uh, anyways, it, it afforded you know people like myself to to, to kind of see the homeland and whatnot. And um, last part of the test, we had a, we had a spar in this place called a uh, Room of the Thousand Buddhas, or I think something like that. I have pictures of it, and I'll have to send it to you. And there's literally a thousand Buddhas painted on the wall, and they're not as good as a Chris Rinney drawing, folks. But <laughs> there, it's, it, it reminds me when I when I flip through, winding it, finally winding it back here to my guest here. Uh, when I flip through, when I flip through your, and by the way, you know, you're also great about shouting out other great artists. I want, I, 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 you know, I, I would love to give them a shout too. But all the art, you know, um, in these volumes, um, it just reminds me of that, but better, obviously, because you're capturing moments. Um, their me- their memories attached to you know things as opposed to the uh, hall of a thousand Buddhas. These are just mythical. Mo- we don't. There's no connection. You know, it's beautiful. It's moving, but you know, there's no connection to it. So it's really important. Long winded explanation. Maybe other people don't care about, but I I, I think it's awesome, man. So uh, right, right. So that again, art keeps things alive in that sense. So keep doing it, sir. Thank you, man. We're going to try to keep things alive, though, which is another thing. Uh, I don't know if I would go so far as to call this show art, but the importance of these top five shows rounding it back is because, and and, and again, this is all relevant history, history tends to get forgotten, right, um, to the sure. point of what what, what, what you do. And, and I guess, you know, to a lesser form here in audio medium, what I do, uh, try to do in these audio podcasts because the UFC schedule in particular is so relentless that we can't even remember these fighters that even us in the media or me in the media, you know, I get paid to like write profiles for contender series guys, for example, mm-hmm. okay. their next fight can be three months. Right? I have no clue of this person. I gave them a grade. I watched their fight live. I had to write their mm-hmm. fight after and rewatch it again. I had to study them and before it's and it's gone because Dunbar's number is completely challenged and proven right in MMA. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Is I don't know. Fifty. Something like that because that's about where I, I feel like that's where like my UFC knowledge drops off at about 150. I know 155 is Annex yeah. first call. You get Jim Miller, Joe Lozon, and a classic. Yeah. But it all kind of right. falls off after that. Hawani's the best when it comes to that move. Right, right. But you know what? Um, this is a, a really sobering thought. It's like their um, rankings go up to 15, and mm-hmm. there are, what? 10 or 11 or 12 weight classes, you know, like, between yeah. the men and women. Like, that's it. If you don't know a ranked fighter, it's totally reasonable. There's no way that fans should be thought to be uh, held to some sort of standard that you should know X number of fighters. Like, it's literally beyond um, the bounds of, like, typical human uh, information retention. Absolutely. And that's what I tell people, whether they're, like, casuals, like, as far as coming into the sport – um, or I encourage them, or um, if they are like they fell out and they're talking, oh, I used to follow, but this and that. I always, I'm like, don't beat yourself up. This is a more common. It's perfectly explainable. You are a sane human being with a functioning brain. You are not supposed to want to keep up, or even if you wanted to, and it's your job, like me, you cannot keep up with this. Do not let that be a barrier to entry. And I think that people, it almost pushes people away because they're like. They're like, what? You know, uh, freaking, you know, uh, Game of Thrones season. Well, I have, I have to catch up on how much, <laughs> you know. And they're like, and, and 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 from what I'm hearing, this latest season sucks. Like, do I really, you know, <laughs> do I really got to do this? So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're going to try to sh- shine a light on some of the funner, uh, more fun things. And it, again, it, it's self serving as well because it, it it's fun to go back to these things. It makes you realize, oh yeah, back when you know, you know. 
hanging with the boy. No, but, you know, getting together with friends for fight nights and, you know, those days and, you know, that seem almost like a bygone era even before the pandemic now, especially since the pandemic, right? And wow, yeah. the pandemic. So, you know, we're going to get into it here. As you guys know, uh, we're going to go from five to one. Uh, I'm probably going to let the guest go here first because he knows he's he his first time, but he is not a, it's not his first rodeo, if that makes sense, folks. So I'm going to let Rennie go first. We're going to go back and forth like a tennis match from five to one. Sometimes we're going to end up on the same one. I expect there to be crossover on this list because there are just some yep. undeniable ones. That's fine. When that happens, we're just going to double dive. We can adjust our list accordingly. Uh, you know, again, there's no hard rules here. Uh, then we're going to give mm -hmm. the listener list a shout. And whatever the mm -hmm. listeners miss, whatever we miss, we'll hit, we'll hit it in the honorable mentions. So thank you guys. Uh, and in the comments below, if you want to say if we miss anything after all that, you know, you can deserve to light us up or light me up. Send it my way. Light me up uh, for what we miss. Okay. All right. All right. So top five career altering beatings. Uh, I don't know if there's much setup needed for this, uh, but I'll let you do the setup since it's your your topic. As you you can set up the topic and, and go into your number five. All right. Well, I I ended up with uh, with eleven eleven uh, picks. You know, I probably still got one or two more. You know, in the background, I love I love the hipster picks and I love the honorable mentions on these lists. So I tried to make sure I had both my top five and my I had some good ones on deck. I saw the, I saw the fans of your podcast on Twitter and I saw a couple things that they picked and I was like, yeah, okay, we know they're getting covered. So let me let me go a little deep. That's not that deep. Number five though, hipster pick, Neil Magny versus Hector Lombard. Oh, nice, nice! I totally missed this one. Go ahead. This is a great that's pick. All right, man. Great that's pick. All right. That's that's all. That's the only deep cut I got. I'm just gonna lead off strong, and then it's gonna be like I feel the same. Everything you saw coming. Um, <laughs> Neo Magni has so. All right, I'll tell you. I one of the last uh, seasons of Tough that I watched live was uh, was uh, Roy Nelson and Shane Carwin. You know, and Neo Magni was on that that uh, season. And he got lit. You remember they used to do where they have all like all nothing but fights just to get in the house in the very first episode. And I remember he got lit up hard and then he came back and I was like, wow, that guy's got some resilience. He's got some durability. He's got some personal fortitude. And I've always followed his career. And because of his fight to get into the tough house. I've always been interested in that. At least, you know, it's that, that's what tough is supposed to do and doesn't really do anymore. I don't think anyway, this was same thing, same fight. He gets lit up like crazy by Lombard and I, I thought he was done. And then Lombard punches himself out, gasses himself out. And Magni beats the living daylights out of him from Mount, which is like unheard of these days, you know, to see somebody like the last time somebody got beat up in Mount was uh, Wyman Rockhold, you know, uh, which might be on someone's list. But really, uh, he beat the living daylights out of him. Lombard never won a fight again in the UFC. He did have this like uh, after the bell DQ knockout of CB Dalloway. But it's nothing but pink on his Wikipedia page. And it was a long, long beating. And I think that's what it came down to. He was on the mat taking taking punches and like it was the kind where people were this is the it's rough when like you go, Oh, this is an amazing fight. Magni came back and then like that gets outshined by like, I'm really uncomfortable watching this dude get punched in the head on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so that's my number five. 
Yeah, no, that's a great pick. I totally missed this one, and uh, I won't talk about this too much because it, it it could it couldn't deserve to get mentioned, so I won't burn it. But I was talk I was going over uh, some trilogies, and I went over, of course, one in the lightweight division that had MMA's best example of a 10-7 round. Yeah. And now that you're mentioning this fight, I'm like, this actually has the probably the next best argument for 10-7 rounds, and it happens twice for two different guys. You could argue. You know, you, yes, yes, you could yes. argue the 10-7 for each guy in different rounds, which is the crazy part. Not even just 10-8 swings, folks, or 10-9 no, no. swings. These are like arguable 10-7 and MMA 10-7 swings where, yeah. you know, you've got freeze frames of – it's not us adding our dramatization. I think Mark Goddard is – You got first of all, you got Steve Percival who, if you live in Australia or Australian, whereas like I think like Lombard was, you know, an Australian resident for a while – uh, did judo over there, or uh, I think Percival also let you know Paroche get just you know uh, AFK'd by Ryan Bader. Uh, he uh, might have been the guy that let Hunt you know just get smashed by uh, Miocic. Like Australia right, refs like really right. let their own take it. Like they really like you, you got to be yeah, tough, night. Yeah. You know you got to take it. Uh, but like <laughs> I don't know what it is. But yeah, like Percival's like letting them take it, and you see Mark Goddard. There's like a freeze frame Mark Goddard watching as the uh, observing ref in the corner position next to the commission, and he, he's like face palming. Because it's oh. so like it, it 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 was it was so and he was vocal about it too. That wasn't just like some happenstance shot that made its way around, but like to to Chris's point, folks, this was this was insane and not just like it, you know Lombard was a decent favorite going into that fight, um, yeah. and, and Lombard like one in the first round. Yeah, and he's just like let me mention this like Lombard, especially during a certain stretch when he came over from Bellator and he dropped to welterweight after his uh, lackluster performances at middleweight yeah. he was literally like my number and that that short little span where he was like knocking marquart dead and some other guys like he was literally not my favorite number one fighter but the number one fighter that got a, the biggest reaction out of me to watch like I, I, yeah. the closest to when i was a kid you know watching the tail end of tyson you know like mcneely and all that bs and stuff yeah. that's all i really got to catch um lombard gave me kind of those feels it sounds crazy it was really very very short-lived and mm-hmm. none of those feels would ever come back after that fight professionally, although Lombard is still a scary MF, right? I shared a story with him last podcast where mm-hmm. he just he texted me in the middle of the night. Last person you want texting you in the middle of the night, Hector Lombard. Oh, it's yeah. just like yeah, yeah. it's like people were like, Why did you answer, Dan? You're like, Well, I cause I had this thought. I'm like, wouldn't he be Couldn't more be mad if I didn't answer? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, 100%. you know, it, it goes from ninety. It goes from ninety nine percent dying to hundred percent dying. I'll, I need, I need that one yeah. percent, folks. Yeah, like the last thing I want to do is like, uh, I'll also irritate him. <laughs> yes. Whatever this is about. Yeah, not to timestamp um, these episodes, but you know, I'm sure we saw the highlight of his post fight altercation at BKFC bare knuckle fight. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know. I'm like, oh gosh, I guess he's not. Totally. But if you look at the type of losses he has before this fight and after this fight, it's, it's profound. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, um, again, you know, you could say, uh, you know, age would have got some of our selections or we can throw in speculations if it's around 2015. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? When USADA comes in. But. This is definitely one because you got you. I mean, you just look at the old sure dog. You know, you look at the you look at the red. Um, yep, exactly. I mean, it really backs up. There's a really undeniable swing here, folks. Uh, no matter what your speculation is, so that's a is a great pick. It totally flew over my head, under the radar. Great hipster pick. Awesome. Whew, whew. All right, cool. That was, you know, I had a lot riding on that one. 
<laughs> I'm depending on you to be the hipster here. No, just kidding. I, I, cause you know, cause I, I, I feel like maybe my number, maybe my number one could be two. I don't know. I just, I think my number one would be on the list, but I, I probably, I don't think other people would have it as high as me, but mm-hmm. I feel like number one through three, number one through four is all interchangeable. Um, sure. and I tried to go as hipster as I could for number five and it'll, it'll have some poetic tie in here for the list, I suppose. But, um, my number five is. Very popular fighters. It's a popular fight. It's not that long ago, so maybe it's not that hipster in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people. I would be curious into where people put the decline of one BJ Penn at, and I chose Ooh. Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn. Wow! At UFC 137, um, there are two points, and I, I'll, I'll I'll get into one maybe later, but. It's it's interesting because he has the draw to Fitch, right? Um, mm-hmm. I believe he loses to Edgar, and the first one you could argue his way, uh, and the second one you're like, okay, you know, you, you, there was a, you know, let, let you know, maybe, maybe there'll be a difference, uh, maybe there'll be a difference in this camp, you know, uh, he was he wasn't training with the Marinoviches, he kind of like, but he brought them over to Hawaii, so this was the first trip where he's kind of moving away from the Marinoviches, where we saw him, you know, because he got beat down by George Saint Pierre, but he also came back. And had two of his best performances ever back to back. So you can't say that the George St. Pierre right. beating was a career changing beating. No, not at all. Um, you know, so and then Ed- hitting a ceiling. Right. And then Edgar dominates him in the rematch, granted at UFC oh. one eighteen, but it wasn't a bad beating. In fact, later rounds actually BJ's having success because he forgets that he could wrestle. And I believe it was like either Ed Gallo or Ryan Wagner, maybe both, you know, mm-hmm. it, not the biggest BJ Penn guys, but you even give him you gotta give the guy credit where it's like Man, this guy could have even been a better fighter, not just if he trained, because that was always his, you know, uh, his thing. Yeah. You know, how hard did he yeah. train? But like, if he, like, if he, be, you know, actually put his skills, like Phil Davis, if Phil Davis stopped being a, a back foot striker and actually, like, you know, maybe he went to a, not that a camp change would have done that. It doesn't work like sure. that. But if he went to like an AKA where they're going to put you on the front foot, they're going to make you use the wrestling. Does Phil da- Phil Davis? Do we get to see more of that sweet grappling? We're, we're like, why didn't she use that more? Because because Penn is taking down Edgar at the end of those rounds. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got a draw to Fitch, and Fitch is, Fitch's stock is at its highest at this point, people, even though he's already lost to GSP. Uh, it's at its highest because Fitch actually started getting better. He actually had inter- entertaining fights with Eric Silva that really kind of – That is a stunning right? fight. That is just yeah. an all-time great one. Yeah. It's forgotten. It's forgotten, man. And both guys yeah. fell off in different ways. Uh, you know, yeah. Fitch kept grinding as his moniker is, but you know what I'm saying? And But there's the, the, this is during that time where like if, if Fitch was a stock, his stock was at its highest, right? Right, um, exactly. He's the, he's the team captain at AKA, and BJ Penn comes out and he's taking him down and dominating him for the first part of the fight. He gets dominated mm-hmm. at the end, right, which gives him the ten eight. But there's still that like I did good, you know. There's still that belief in him, right? Um, yeah. He's not coming off of a big layoff and a and a post retirement like he did with the McDonald fight, which is an argument here uh, that yeah. comes after the Diaz fight. He goes into the Diaz fight because it's a shuffle. He's supposed to fight Condit. I remember even then thinking like. I didn't want that fight that to happen because Condit at this point, and I'll, I'll, I won't talk too much about him. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, Condit stock was also toward its highest. He was a killer. He was living up to his moniker, and I was like, "This is the first time BJ Penn's really going to get finished." If um, like right. like before, he goes up against Condit, and just yeah, gets a head kick yeah, to the head. Yep, Yair wouldn't have been the first one to get that first knockdown on Penn. You know what I'm saying? It would have been Condit, yeah. I think. Uh, so I was glad that I was glad that didn't happen. But then they had to face each other like kind of friends. You know, Diaz helped. Um, Diaz helped Penn get ready for Florian in that camp, both, oh, both okay. Nick and Nate. And if you look at BJ in that fight, it's weird, man. This is like, 
this is one time where it was like you could really, I mean, he was a guy that, say what you will, pound for pound most courageous fighter, biggest balls, you know, a BJ Penn, yeah. fight anybody, anytime. You know, you look at, you look at, you know, it, maybe he, maybe it's a problem with Southpaws is why he has another problem with Nick because at this point, unless you were a big wrestler to get him down like a Hughes or George St. Pierre, he mm-hmm. lost to only Southpaws, which was Pulver and Machida, which is crazy. A guy who fought as low as bantamweight and a guy who fought as high as heavyweight. This is exactly. this is BJ Penn's resume, folks, mm-hmm. and like and so you know he's facing a really you know obviously a skilled southpaw, but there's this almost like thing where like when you went with somebody and you know who's the better person when two training partners go together, there's almost mm-hmm. like a quiet there's a quiet confidence and a quiet urgency from one right, quiet okay. confidence from the guy who who always won. They, and a quiet, I've done this before. Right. I know how this is gonna go. And it doesn't mean that the guy with the quiet confidence that always wins in the training room is gonna win in the fight. See Mike Pyle versus Matt Brown. Um, exactly. Matt Brown was training at XC a lot during that time, and Mike Powell, like he did to everybody, got the bet, just pushed his shit in. But when it came to fight yeah. time, as much as I love Mike Powell, no disrespect, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the urgent guy came out and blasted him off his feet and Matt Brown. So it, it doesn't pertain to a result, but I do believe there is a quiet body language when two fighters with training history come. And uh, I'll throw it to you here, Chris, because I'm rambling, but what I loved when I went back to rewatch this fight is that you forget, how, A, how well BJ does in the first round. He actually messes up Nick Diaz's eye really bad, gets some takedowns. Mm-hmm. He's going to the and body. some really cool cool grappling exchanges yeah. in the first round. I remember that was like, oh, wow, maybe we're going to see something totally wild, you know, that you didn't even see coming. Totally. And in the boxing, too, this isn't the last time we see Perlo in his corner, but it's the last time Perlo has a meaningful impact in his camp, and you can tell because it's the last time BJ Penn's boxing looks good. Like he's at a six-inch over a six-inch reach at dis- disadvantage, which is huge statistically. And he is whether he's coming forward, going to the body and head, or he's waiting and he's jabbing with Nick and countering mm-hmm. over the top of Nick. It was super impressive. Just like everything, he didn't have the gas. Diaz in his camp knew he didn't have the gas, right. and they go. And the crazy thing is, the beginning of each round, Chris and anyone who watches it, like. Rosenthal just gives up on trying to, you know, how they'll like make the fighters uh, go back to the cage. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And if they're really urgent, they'll they'll let them settle for not going to the cage. They'll let them get to the warning track and they'll be like, okay, good enough, fight. These guys wouldn't even get to the warning track. They are literally at arm's length apart from Rosenthal, who's not a big guy with a big reach. He's at full uh-huh. arm's length apart pushing them at the beginning of each round, even when BJ is, is gassed and beat up because the second right. round was arguably worse than the third for him. But it just showed that, like, when two, and especially I've had been having to deal with dog fights, like when two, like pit bulls or certain, you know, those breeds, those really, f- really go after it. Like you see that ingrained nature in them, whether they know they're going to win or they know they're going to lose, the objective remains the same. And it's, it's, it's incredibly right. scary. And BJ the at the end of the win might not be yeah. there, but the will to fight, it doesn't go away. I think that's a, you think that's a fair way to put it? Yeah, exactly. Although, and, and to cap my long-winded explanation of this pick with this is, I would say exactly, exactly. Although, and here's why it makes my pick, Chris, is because BJ, for all you can say about him, his wills to fight there. That is the one thing you can say. But in the post-fight interview, he does the um, emotional retirement thing, which we've seen before. But yeah. to BJ's credit, he didn't retire a lot at that point. He wasn't like a Randy Couture who would retire every couple of years toward the end, right? And yeah, kind of, of fighting seasons, right? Um, and Joe Rogan actually goes to follow up on him to make sure it's not some emotional fighter thing. Cause he's, you know, at this point, BJ, mm-hmm. it's crazy for people now to hear this. BJ's regarded still as one of the greatest of all time at this point, folks, which sounds crazy, yeah. but it's true. <laughs> it's true. And, and, and Anderson Silva was calling him the best of all time. Exactly. I, I know the best. 
Either yeah, the best, the best. You know, just a beautiful yep. moment, right? One of my favorite uh, aerial interviews to in studios. That was great. Anderson, do it. You know, uh, speaking almost full English, pretty much, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like uh, keeping it under his pocket. But yeah, he um, he. And Joe Rogan follows up, and BJ goes because another thing is crazy is BJ got a TKO stoppage, and he's been beat up by like a Saint Pierre. But even in those fights, he never really bled. It was hard for him to bleed or show damage. Um, I remember he, that about the post-fight interview. He was like, "Now my kids have to go look at me." Yeah, it was hitting him. like that, and that the the way that the fight game was bleeding, gonna bleed. He knew it was gonna bleed into his personal life. And once again, it's a shame. It was an in cage, you know, retirement that we that lasted many years and never ended. But it was a moment that you could look back on and be like, "Ooh, yeah, you know, this is a fighter." Not not being able to separate who they are as a fighter versus who they are as a father, or family man, or something. Now he's like, oh shit! Now, now my family's got to deal with the repercussions of my fighting. Yeah, and even though it was emotional, you think back in hindsight, maybe that it was not just the last of his boxing in that fight. Maybe the last of his self awareness, because maybe that was the right move. Maybe that was his body telling him, you know, uh, no excuses on the GSP fight. But it's like, you know, BJ even being BJ aside. It's insane because it is literally the most important fight of anybody's career. Like you didn't even BJ Penn should have known it was the most important fight. Like why? How do you not get up? How are you just a zombie? And I never want to make excuses take away from a fighter, much less over uh, believe and embellish another fighter's excuses. But he 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 just had his second kid at this time, uh, and his his daughter was getting old enough for the uh, with the Diaz fight we're talking about, which is why it was hitting him. But when you go back mm -hmm. to the Saint Pierre fight at ninety four. He was just mm -hmm. having his first kid, and like with a lot of fighters, that first kid is a real telltale. It's either going to mm -hmm. change them, or they're it's going to change them, but not noticeably, right? It is fatherhood. It's right. going to and motherhood's going to change person no matter what. But you get what yeah. I'm saying. If no, it's yeah, gonna, the, fir the first time it happens, you're like, I'm a new person, and the second time you're just like, man, fuck this shit, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes and retires and realizes that he, you know he's an a not happy and you know maybe like to your the way you phrased it the the fighting was going to bleed into his personal life anyways which is a tragedy of course um but when i look without getting too deep into that when i look back to the turning point i would argue this was long-winded folks i know but i would argue this one was it all right all right number four. number four let's do it buddy okay number four I know I saw some people on Twitter saying like Waller McDonald, and I gotta say I gotta put a hard no on that um, because both guys went on to have at least I mean in, in in Waller's case one more great performance, and in McDonald's case like I just couldn't I know that he's had some spectacular beatings and losses and tragedies in his career. The fact is he went and won a title in Bellator. You know, and he performed well. Um, he, you know, he got like messed up of going up to 185, but he, he, it's just, he's just not done. You know, he's able to function on a, on a very high level, if not the, his once elite level. But right after that, Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit, I, this had to make it because both guys. Mm -hmm. Never the same. This is this is like probably an easy pick for everyone, uh, and probably on your list, if not uh, an honorable mention. But number four, 
And it's a life change. It's a career altering beating for both men, Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit. Never the same. Even though you know, Carl, you know Condit can finally is you know got a couple, um, couple wins under his belt now, but you know uh, against much much uh, lower level of competition, and they're they it, they seem very hard fought. Um, I know that uh, you know Robbie Lawler. He, he looks like he's underwater. You know. He's he, he's like he's so defensively focused. I know like there's like just the, the onslaught of Colby Covington and uh, like the forty punch combination against RDA. You know where he's like very defensively focused, but he's never able to like stop being defensive and return fire. Uh, these guys, you know, one thing I really want to say, what I wanted to note about this fight and why, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. This fight was in January of uh, what, 2016, and it's still one fight of the year. This fight was so good, it it didn't beat every other fight, it beat recency bias. That is how you know this was profound. It was a profound thing that happened. Recency bias, no, recency bias is such a strong thing, um, and I, I completely sentiment. I will quickly say I have it on my list, but I have it on my list as number three, so I'll, I'll note that down here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to switch my three and four because um, mm-hmm. my four actually will segue kind of more to why I agree with you and why I ended up picking uh, Lawler Condit over Lawler McDonald. Um, so I'll just go ahead and, and as I note that, I'll double dive here with you for your number four because it's on my list. And yeah, um, McDonald did go on to have success. I feel like he still is a good example if you want to make that argument. I think it was the nose, right? A lot of the times when fighters have really damaged noses. Uh, you see them get hit in that area, they'll check it. Perhaps other areas, which we'll, I'll talk about here shortly on my, my would-be number four, uh, which is mm-hmm. another, which which is what edged out uh, Lawler McDonald. Plus, when you have a Lawler Condit example where it affects not just one, but two guys, you know. I know Condit is, you know, kind of, you know, you know, doing his best how Condit got his groove back in impersonation right now. And he's, he's going through yeah. the motions and we love to see it as Condit fans. But it's not the same, you know. It's not the nah, same. Nah, it's, it's a different guy. It's a different guy. You know, dude, I'm I'm 42. I uh, I've never been much of an athlete, but even I can tell how much I've deteriorated <laughs> versus what I was 15 years ago. I was just having that thought because mine's. I imagine mine's going to be coming soon. I'm not an athlete, but I have a lot of miles. Yeah. Um Like I've. It's weird. Like I can say that. Like. I was I was throwing punches and kicks a, a, a decade and earning you know you know my first black belt which I probably I shouldn't have gotten I don't count granted like before a lot of these active UFC fighters were born and I'm not that oh, right, old right. so that's really weird to say just because I yeah, only yeah. I mean I've been doing martial since I was a wee boy there but like okay. so you know it's, it's it's weird to say but so I'm not trying to make any direct comparisons but yeah I'm like even though I've also had a long deceptively long miles I've had a lot of time off because of injuries I'm I'm curious of when I sign back up at the gym this year. Uh, now that I'm, you know, double vaxxed and whatnot, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start venturing oh, good, in those good, waters. Good. But I'm like, how the heck am I going to look? What's what's older Dan Tom going to look like now that I'm going from uh, uh, the, the the back end of, of the 30s now I'm entering? So we'll see. We'll see. But no, man, you're, you're right. Because Condit, this was, we wouldn't see the same Condit. And we'll get to how you, how you scored it here in a second. Um, it really doesn't matter to me. It was one of those fights where... Yeah, and not that it doesn't matter. That's not sound callous to Condit because that would have been huge. Lawler was already champion, right? That would have been huge for Condit. 
Uh, I'm not trying to take that away or, 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 you know, downgrade that. But, like, it was just such a great fight where, it, as a viewer, it, it didn't matter. You got the image of them tired and McCarthy rubbing their backs, oh, you know. Amazing. Amazing. Do you ever do a drawing of that, Chris? That, that, that oh, feels yeah, like a, yeah. I did. I did a that, little that's, tiny, that's in the tiny, vault, right? Okay, I, I've seen that one. That's, I think I've seen you yeah. maybe post that one maybe. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it's one of those images that, again, just – it floods the mind when you think of when you think of these things. So it's a great pick. You know, yeah, you look at their careers, very much change. I think Lawler, like he beat what Cerrone, which you could actually like go back and argue a Cerrone win if you wanted to. Not that I would, but like you, you could, right. you know, you know what I'm saying? Just just yeah. to point the and then who is his other win? Um, I believe it's uh shoot. I don't um, know. He has one. I yeah, I don't think he has one. That might, the only one. That might that might have been it. Yeah, I think it is it actually. Because <laughs> he lost to Magni, so stuck out to me. Is oh yeah, I think both both of them having lost to Magni is some kind of weird watermark litmus test or something, you know? Like that's where you are. No, no disrespect to Neil Magni, he's on my list. But anyway, what struck out struck me the most was that uh, Condit headlined a UFC on Fox event shortly after that, or, or a while after that, and you know he got finished quickly by Damian Maya. And what he said in the post fight was like, oh man, I got like, punched by Damian Maya and I felt it. I like, you know, like, you know, I, it took him out, you know, and that's how he was able to get him down on the ground and secure the choke. And I was like, ooh, you know, that's, that ain't the kind of thing you hear from Carlos Condit. You know, this is a guy who's like, you know, getting bombed on by Johnny Hendricks only a year or two previous and then comes back. And I don't know if you remember at the end of that fight, you're like, oh, man, if that was five rounds, Condit would have taken it, you know? Yeah. And this is, you know, you go from that to getting uh, knocked down by Damian Maia. No, it's just it is that that's that's the game, you know? It's the game. Yep. Yeah, it is, man. Totally. Round round three, Condit. And round five, Lawler. Well, those two tropes. And I wrote Robbie Lawler, public enemy number one, because... I feel like he's uh he comes up on a lot of these lists for for career changers. He is definitely yeah. one of those culprits. Yeah. And I know a lot of people carry those stats and if I was a better podcaster, I would have them ready for people's uh careers uh the career changers. I I will argue in my defense though that another reason if I even if I wanted to take the time to do it, I might not have is because like mm-hmm. a lot of stats they're very misleading because you've got guys like Jones on there who is a one of the greatest of all time and B right. was was and I was saying that I'm not one of these people who've been saying it just in the past couple of years when it's trendy. I was getting eggs and shit thrown at me, not literally, but for saying it at the time that he was getting served up uh, veterans at the very end of their tail when they were still being overvalued if you actually go back to that narrative of time. So it's it's hard to say. It's like, okay, well, these guys were already due to to, to spoil. You know what I'm saying? Um, And they were not just being fed to a young guy. They were being fed to like the guy. So how much do we really weigh that? And then others are like guys who aren't even good, or you think of as like finished, you know, you know. Because if we're gonna go by that, that skill, it's like, oh well, the Khabib, you know, those kinds of beatings, right? Um, those tend mm-hmm. to change people. But it's like, well, even Barbosa, for as many miles as he had, he's still doing the dang thing down at a division which should amplify his his fragility and his and, vulnerability. And, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. You know, uh, Gaethje was able to reform his style after that fight. Um, yeah. you know, like, so it's, you know, uh, our RDA went for a title up, up a division after being dominated by, I'm not trying to shit on Khabib, but I'm just saying these stats can be very, very deceiving yeah. on who gets credit and who doesn't for changing careers. Yeah. I, I, um, what is it called? I, I noted what people's records were before and after whatever yeah. pivotal fight is, but I do see, like, I agree with you that like simply reading out numbers to back up your, 
argument has a little it, it loses its value versus like these really like the intangibles of like bj noting that his body is starting to give out like and condit noting that like he got hit and it hurt and knocked him down and he couldn't recover in time like these things are far more telling than me being like did you know he went three and seven afterwards you know <laughs> yep yeah yeah it's contextualized stats right which is why like i respect the no known weaknesses uh old school ufc <laughs> yeah, thing yeah, yeah. i respect yeah. that way more than today where it's like they're getting all these random fill-ins in the pandemic era mma and they're yeah. like giving like these guys who have haven't even fought for a whole calendar year like this person has the most something something in bantamweight history and i'm like okay this is like their third fight this year and this person's like 23 and bantamweight's been around for a minute like what kind of, like, how far, how much are we skewing just to find numbers to put up, you know? And that's the dangerous thing about stats yeah. is you can find, you can find sexy stuff. That's not the problem. Yeah. You, you can find and make a living off sexy stuff, which perhaps is my problem. I should be doing more of that. But, uh, you know, that's also why I try to focus on more, like, conceptualized stats. I just went on, like, a Southpaw rant. Um, mm -hmm. But speaking of which, um, this is a good time. Let's do a Chinese fire drill because we had yeah. a double dive. And, again, my number, my original number four, which I'll now say as number three. So you can mm -hmm. get your number three up next, Chris. Gotcha. Um, connect connects to this because, uh, again, Lawler McDonald, you could point to the nose thing and that kind of trope where a fighter gets injured and you could tell it's always in their head. And if you yes. want to make your argument for that, Lawler McDonald, that's fine. But I feel like GSP Koscheck is a better example of that, which will be my newfound number three here, which is fine. You could you can interchange these mm -hmm. because it wasn't a nose. It was an orbital. But even though Koscheck would, I think he would get like a split decision against Mike Pierce and KO. Yeah. Again, yep. a past prime Matt Hughes. The rest of his career was red. He never looked the same. Um, mm -hmm. The confidence and brashness of that AKA style that allowed him to use his wrestling and build his kickboxing uh, mm -hmm. was no longer there. And and, uh, and every time he got hit, even if it wasn't a uh, you know a fight ending shot or a hard shot, he would always check that eye. You would see Kostya, yeah. oh, check his eye, check his eye. In fact, Matt Hughes, immediate, even though Matt Hughes got knocked out in that fight, Matt Hughes immediately jabbed up that eye, and Koscheck looked upset. He looked rattled. And I, I got to right, yep. interrupt you for one second. Good, say, good, go. Thank that's you. Actually, that's my number one, GSP Koscheck, because it is not just a physical beatdown. It was a psychological one. And it was a complete derailment of his career that GSP called his shot. He said, you know, this guy, I'm going to beat him, and he's going to have to rethink his whole career as a fighter. He's going to have to rethink what he's doing. I, mean, I think I even wrote this down. He wrote, he said, when I'm going to beat him again, it's going to be the end, the end of it. We're not going to fight each other ever again. He has to reconsider his career. He's not going to come back from this. I mean, the quotes that GSP laid out, calling your shot, fucking up this guy's body, fucking up his confidence, fucking up his career. Number one for me, you know, like it's like the, the, the triple, you know, the trifecta of like beatdowns. Hey, hey, I, I, heard, I heard some of my voice in that initial quote there, Rene. That was pretty good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was pretty bad, by um, the way, of my my standards. So I apologize to the audience for that one. But no, that that was that you you took me back. I got I got I got chicken skin goosebumps as, as you said that. Mm -hmm. And and man, I I apologize for sinking your battle sinking your battleship as I write oh, that. That was your right. number that's one down right. here. We will uh, adjust accordingly. But like again, this could easily again, like I said, one. This is why I said one through four on my list was interchangeable. 
Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you, you know, and what I love about this one too, and to further justify it being uh, on the list or high on the list is that I recently did a, a not to timestamp this episode too much, but I recently did a jabbing article. Obviously this was going to be on the list. And I sure. think that even if you're a fan of that era or a fan of GSP, um, I'm raised my hand. Uh, I was guilty a bit of this is you can get guilty to be sucked into that George safe Pierre narrative of the time. Where right. he was fighting safe uh, more this time, uh, you know, uh, he jab cross-checked the whole time, and you know, the, it was one of the jabs in the first round that hurt him. So, you know, was it a freak thing? And you know, uh, but when you actually go back and watch the fight, you could be as critical or contrarian as you want to be. But if you really watch that fight, as I went back to, you forget how much of a beating it. Back to this title, how much of a beating it really was. Um, it was brutal. Mm -hmm. I mean, even up to the last 30 seconds, you could argue, was the most aggressive GSP was the whole fight. Uh, for someone fighting safe and has a fight literally clearly in the bag, like not even a round in question, and St. Pierre was going for it. Like he was doing like Michael Chandler style uh, shifting combinations to Southpaw, like ah. stuff you didn't even see. Like George said, he was opening up the kitchen sink, and you just forget how brutal it really was a beating. I actually, what, what I remember most is Koscheck corner trying to put the end swell on the eye and him being like ah stop you know like that was one of the moments where you're like oh shit this is because he is he's got a game face you know Koscheck he came out every round he tried to win you know doing that double jab overhand right you know he tried and to see uh, like a crack in the armor of his you know he put the he put his game face on every time the round started but to see it come off in between rounds was really that was like, oof, man, you don't see that very often, you know? And yeah. That's the, yeah. The, as much as it as much as anything that happened in the fight, his sensitivity to that between rounds stuck out. I totally agree because yeah, I was doing a lot of clips of these and like the, the things that in my head, I, I tried to include them in the clip was I believe I got that for the collage of him pushing his cornerman away. And then yeah. um, this this was this shouldn't be on anybody's list. Although you could actually say it, it, it was actually on Shirk's case. But Sean Shirk, BJ Penn, another one, you know. And and you've got Shirk kind of uncomfortable. There's cuts over both eyes, and of course you have uh, uh, Rogan actually really doing some perfect narration at the time, going, "You know, the story of this mm -hmm. fight is written all over his face," and you know, <laughs> it couldn't have been said more perfect time than you know than that. So you get a lot of these moments, but that's a great pick though. The GSP, um, Koscheck. I apologize for singing your battleship and nah, man, it's cool. I, I, these, we knew it was going to happen, mm -hmm. you know? So I give you, you, you call it a bullseye. You got it. <laughs> well, um, I, I the, the audience uh, knows it's your number one. I marked it down as your number one. But since we just went back to back on battleship sinking, we we just Chinese mm -hmm. fire drilled our way back to normal order. So, I'm going to bounce the ball back to you for your number three, which I'm, you know, which, uh, you know, uh, I didn't sink your number three, did I? So I think your number three nope. is still your number three. Your number two is yeah. still your number two. However, however you yep. want to do that. But, uh, what was, uh, what was your number three? If we didn't already cover that in this madness. Number three, I wanted to get another double destruction in where it was a beating where both guys came out, um, changed forever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I also wanted to get at least one non-UFC fight in there, and I really had the uh, the pleasure of actually hanging out next to this fighter for like eight hours one day at one of those UFC fan expos. I, I had a booth. I was in, you know, I was showing my artwork there, and I was next to this booth that was promoting like a 
truthfully, I don't really remember what it was they were promoting. But they had like Jens Pulver one day, and then the next day they had and they had a Dwayne Ludwig, and then on the last day they had Don Fry. And I was like, oh man, this is amazing, Don Fry, this is so cool. And that dude, uh, you could see he's still wearing the damage. You know, he he walks like a man who is like ridden a horse for like uh, uh, four days and then and then like ran and then went sprinting afterwards. He walks like like there is some damage done, and uh, it's the fight against Ken Shamrock. And so Don Fry won that fight. He never came out the same. Ken Shamrock never came out the same. What an amazing vicious vicious fight that was either man really could have won it um sadly um i don't i'm not sure if shamrock has related his drug problems to this fight because i know they kind of exist um if you if you've not read it uh jonathan snowden's uh, book on shamrock is really there's fantastic uh, book yep. into the man's life yes but don fry uh has directly linked his uh, battle with painkiller opioid addiction to this fight and the the damage he sustained uh, from the leg locks. And uh, anyway, this is my pick. This is number three. Both men just viciously destroying each other. Double leg locks, just rib roasting monstrosities. I actually did an article about this back when I worked at Fightland. And it's to this day my favorite one. Uh, It's one of the best things I ever did. Wow, this is a great pick, man. I uh, this was one of my early fights as far as like getting an MMA. Uh, Don mm-hmm. Fry, of course. I mean, Ken Shamrock, of course. Obviously, um, I, I, I when I was a fan of WWF, what it was called when I when I was a fan of it, it was yeah. missed that golden era. I mean, I grew up with it in the eighties, and you know, uh, you know, the Million Dollar Man, the original Million Dollar Man. I don't know who the other guy is now. I'm lost, but uh, you know, it was the golden era. One, yeah, as far yeah. as I know, that's right. That's right, baby. Um, you know, and I also was a big hacksaw Jim Duggan guy as well as a kid. Huh? Oh, big but, uh, time, big time. Who, you know, I imagine would do real well today. But no, uh, <laughs> but listen, like it was like the golden era, right? So Shamrock was in there. And so Shamrock, you know, was like, oh, he's a cage fighter. That kind of made me, you know, I was like, oh, that's the guy I saw on these UFC videotapes and Blockbuster. And that's how I kind of stumbled mm-hmm. onto UFC, right? And um, Don Fry, you know, he was a guy that just, he, you know, he actually was in movies, but, you know, for me, I was like, wait, what? Did Tom Selleck take steroids? What happened? Three men and <laughs> yeah, a baby. Yeah. Now he's fighting in a cage. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's an old reference there. I think we had, you know, I was on a podcast where someone referenced Steve Gutenberg, the name I haven't heard in like 20 fucking years. Oh, and I'm man. like, so I'm yeah, going yeah. to throw three men and a baby reference out there. But, yeah. The, <laughs> right. yeah I'm in good company, my man. Oh, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm, more of a ma- I'm more of a Magnum PI guy there myself. We go. But, there uh... we go. <laughs> but, yeah, this was like – this was a, this was a classic, you know. This was like a classic fight. I went to watch this back when I was going to watch, like you know, going back to watch the Rutan and Frank Shamrock fights and Pancrase. Like in my mind, I lumped a lot of the Japanese stuff together, although those were just two different organizations. We're referencing mm-hmm. Pride and Pancrase, obviously. But uh, yeah, this was one of the early fights that I saw, man, and it was. You're right because you get. You get the fisticuffs standing and on the ground, but there's these leg entanglements that really just are burnt into my head. And yeah, Don Fry was uh, was definitely one of those guys. And and you know, it's hard to, when you say career altering, it, it changes it. 
but I was listening to an mm-hmm. uh, audio documentary. Shout out to my guy, Nate, from MMA True Fan. They do really good audio documentaries. Go check them out, folks. They did one of Don Fry and him just talking about, I believe it was to Mark Coleman, probably his first fight, I'm guessing, uh, how brutal that was. Uh, and, like, he was detailing, like, the healing. And it looks like he fought, like, six months later, which is, like, insane. Absolutely insane. I mean, insane. You forget about it. what was it, Rodrigo Dam though. Like I was rewatching him versus like Gilbert Melendez, and like before that fight, they're like, "Oh, he fought with he uh, stitches still in after getting his appendix removed in Japan." Like this was, you know, that wasn't that long ago, Rodrigo Dam. Um, but like this is kind of the era, folks, right? Um, that these guys would put their bodies through whatever could get them to the fight night, whatever painkillers they had to take. Um, back to your point, um, and I have that I have that book as well. Shout out to Snowden and Shamrock. Um, yeah. yeah. Great that's one. just that's a fantastic shout and, and Chris I think we were at the same fan ask was this Las Vegas? Yeah, this is uh 2014 Vegas uh, Yes. Expo. I got a picture next to Don Fry during this shout out to my guys MMA Junkie George and Goes. I was before I was working with them. Um and they hooked mm. me up they hooked me up with an Expo pass and uh uh-huh. we met up with Don Fry once he was done with the booth and you know I I don't know where Don Fry especially I think he was supposed to be not be drinking at this time and uh <laughs> My job was to escort him from the booth to where we were. We, we had some nice seats for Edgar Penn three, um, in a mm-hmm. in a kind of one of the upper booths there, and mm-hmm. uh, so he could go and drink. But like the whole, you know, and we're in an elevator, so I'm pretty close to Don. I'm like, Dude, this guy smells like he started like a yeah. while ago. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is already oh, he's it. already pre. Where did he have time to? And it was great because he's just sharing us stories. Like I remember back in Japan in Pride, and BJ came on the bus. And he was just sharing like all these like old you know old stories and stuff. Oh, that's great. And uh, you know, speaking another career change of being, he gets beat after that, and we're all speechless because it was weird. AJ Penn, you know, again back to the, he yeah, forgot his boxing yeah, right tiptoe fight. And yeah. even Don was just speechless. He like and he just out of respect because you know he he didn't want to say anything bad about him. He just was just like, and again Anderson Silva, you know, means a lot coming from Don Fry. He goes. It's still, it's still one of the most toughest sons of bitches that this game's ever seen. <laughs> and he does remember that's, yeah. that's all he said after the fight. He didn't yeah. want to disrespect him. He's just like, still one of the yeah. toughest. It's like, damn, Don Fry. Yeah, you know, actually, that uh, that trip, I actually met Goes, and he was super nice, man. He Not, was awesome. Of course, he's, really the, he's the man, dude. He, he was so kind and like gave me a ton of time. Took me for a little tour of the, the junkie studio. What? And we shot the shit. Yeah, yeah. And I've, we've never really gotten to shoot the shit again. But I really, I'll never forget that. Like he listens, you know, so I'm sure he'll reach out to you. I feel like, a, oh, that's awesome. It was really, really cool. He was very, uh, very generous. I really appreciated that. That that sounds like his mo. That sounds like both the brothers' mo. Man, like I think it's just saying. I say on all the podcasts, like just it's hard to find genuine people in this space, and those dudes are yeah. one of them. They're they're longtime OGs that I don't know if they get enough credit for their length and consistency. That they yeah, do with yeah, MMA that's Junkie hard. Radio. That's in, it's it's insane. It's what it is. It's it's I don't know how they did it and. Uh, yeah, those guys are are just golden hearted dudes. So that's really cool, man. Like, are, are like across, I probably went like this so many times, man. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. We'd probably walked right by each other. That's a great number three. I'm sorry I hijacked it with random, but Don Fry like will do that. You know, he just makes you think of all these yeah. things. And yeah. that fight is a great pin pinning point for a man that can do that. Um, all right, so my number three was uh, was originally uh, Lawler Condit, right? So we're gonna move on to um, number two. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I still have two to go, so I, I got to go here. Um, so this one, I wouldn't be surprised if it's on your list as well uh, to sink your, hopefully not sinking your last battleship, but this one's a real common one, but it's it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's perfectly undeniable. 
because it's a guy who wins a bunch and then he, he literally loses a bunch. He's got two uninspiring decisions to, uh, or not decisions, I think he even submitted uh, 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 one of the two, uh, Mitch Gagnon and Philippe Nova. Yeah, I, I knew this was going to yeah. be there. And you know what? I made sure I did not put it on my list. Wow. I'm like, I know this. People are going to, people are going to, I tried Smart to go man. with like, Smart man. Like the physical beatdown. And then there's other, there's like the psychological damage and there's the career damage. I tried not to make it too much about, I, I try not to get focused on the physical because there's other ways that people get damaged, you know, whether it's their mind or just their ability to function as a fighter in the landscape. But please, TJ Dillashaw, Hennem Burrell, this this is probably one of, one of the first ones I thought of. Just a stellar pick. Go for it. Well... All of our picks, and maybe you know, maybe not Condit Lawler or Magni Lombard, mm-hmm. but all of our picks, and pretty much majority of the picks that are in the pool, so to speak, um, which I find interesting. Start off with the person and subject to be beating. It's probably going to be a prolonged fight, which is kind of a given mm-hmm. if we're stereotyping with the title. But mm-hmm. the most concussive and damaging stuff happens in the earlier middle of the fights most of the time. Right. And right. so you could argue right. that the fact that, you know, that what they say about concussions, what we do know, it's not the first one. It's the repeated after in that in that window yeah. is what's really dangerous. Uh-huh. Um, that's A, a common thread that's really noteworthy that we should all note with this list. But mm-hmm. B, um, I feel like that the, this, this um, you know, Burrell and uh, Dillashaw is one of the best examples of that, too, because I believe that the, the, the second fight repeats itself, too, where he gets dropped early. But yes. he really gets dropped and pretty much knocked out with a right hand early and comes mm-hmm. back when he should and Burrell does. And, yeah. of course, with MMA being MMA and his team being his team, which is in the world of MMA, yeah. stopping it is never, is never on, their, is never on their, their head. It's never even yeah. uh, on the table. And Burrell is never in that fight, uh, not mm-hmm. once until the uh, – I don't even want to say it's merciful because it comes in the fifth round. I mean, merciful yeah. would have been the first round when it should have happened. Um, he, he takes he takes uh, he just takes a long beating. So I'm I'm glad you listened to the show. You know how it is. I usually will do that move, but Rennie is such mm-hmm. a pro. He uh, did it for me. Chris, um, what do you have to say about this one? Um, I think part of the reason that fight went as long as it did is because of the aura of Hennenborough. He was it was uh, I think this one I wrote down. Let me see. Yeah, thirty two one and one before that fight, and he really. I, 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 that's one of those fights that just, I can remember where I was, I can remember where I was sitting, what I was thinking, and even the, the, it was a jaw-dropping performance, it was like that, you know, Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz style performance, like, TJ's, with the, the style was evolving, you know, this new Dwayne Ludwig thing, him looking like the future of MMA, and it, like, it all coalesced, like, at the biggest stage of his career, the biggest opportunity, the brightest lights, and he did exactly what he needed to do, what he was supposed to do. And but I still was so taken with Burrell, um that even though TJ was like it was it's like it was like watching a race where one person pulls ahead and then they just slowly pull further and further ahead without each round. But every time Burrell would like throw a meaningful strike, I would like grit my teeth back. This is it. This is when you tie, the tide turns. Even after the knockdown, I'm going to say maybe two or three rounds. Maybe maybe like by the fifth round, I was like, oh, my God, TJ's going to do this. But it was one of those things where, 
like almost like watching the first Nganu versus Miocic fight. Like every strike he throws, you're like, this could be the one. This could be the one that turns it back around. Barao had that kind of mystique at that time. And that is why it's a great pick because it was the end of that mystique. It was the end of that, like, this dude is just wrecking people, you know? And whether it was very perfunctory jab, low kick, you know, the occasional spinning kick or something, like, this dude has, like, the tools. And then, like, somebody comes in with the new tools, with the footwork, with the, with the like, more dynamic striking, the less conventional striking, and... You're like, oh God, this is sea change. You know, you're watching a generational shift as well as like the end of this man's run. So I, I love this pick. I, I knew it would be there. I'm glad I didn't. Glad I gave it room. You know. No, I mean, me too, man. That said, that worked out perfectly, and I agree with what you said. And, and last thing I'll say on this one, kind of akin to your number one, um, which was GSP Koscheck. This is one of those fights where the beating is so bad that the fighter wears it on their face in their following fights. Like Koscheck would always check check that you know check check his orbital like he's yes. like he's back there, and uh-huh. Barao you'd see it on his face you'd see it as soon as the first exchange not even that he got tired as soon as the first exchange didn't go his way they're in the clinch, and you'd see him like looking lost he wasn't looking at the clock he wasn't right. looking at his corner right. he just has right. this look of despair on his face and you see it in almost every fight win or lose yeah. since then like yeah. he's back it's like a PTSD it puts him back there. You know, he is a fighter that kind of looked like he was having a good time in there before that fight. And he never looked like he was having a good time afterwards. Yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. That's a great one. So I just cited your number one, but what Mm -hmm. is your adjusted number one? So what was in your number two slot, but what's going to serve as your kind of adjusted number one? We know what your number one is. Yep. This would be Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. Talk about Very somebody nice. who never, never came back. Not only never came back, never said a word. Like, you know, the, the media thing, the the time off, the hiding, the, the walking out the, the airport with the pillow, like not doing media afterwards. Like, forget it. Forget it. You know, she beat the person. She beat the mystique. She beat the legacy. She really... Uh, if, if there was a moment in that fight that I thought symbolized what happened it, it was actually a strike that didn't land it was that one where Rhonda's like it's been memed into having like the bullfighter you know thing where where Rhonda like lunges at holly holly ducks underneath and scampers over to the center of the cage and Rhonda just kind of like stumbles into the cage after having missed her that punch that's it that that's like this person who was you know unstoppable, dominant, you know, dictating the pace and the direction and everything of all the fights that she's been in, literally stumbling across the cage, unable to even engage with her opponent. I feel like, you know, there's a certain amount of symbolism in uh, in that moment. And, you know, like she can no longer control the path of her career. She can no longer control, dictate, you know, how things go. Like things are no longer in her control, both in the cage and out of the cage. Like that's it. That was the mo- that was the moment. That was the one that, you know, you watch somebody lose and never be the same again. Yeah. And it was crazy because the knockout alone could be a life changing knockout. That's what, 
you know, uh, that's what I told myself, you know, before signing up for a fight is you got to a be aware that if you want to do this, you, you, you think of the scariest person you don't want to fight and accept you're going to fight them. Otherwise, don't do it. And B, accept that all it takes is a shin to the head, whether you're going to practice or you're going to compete for you to be yeah. irreparably changed. And, you know, uh, even without knowing the science back then and making that agreement, I still knew that head trauma enough to know that head trauma was a serious thing. But with this one, it's different. And peek behind the curtain, you know, a lot of comparison with right now with uh, not the timestamp too much with Harrison and Rousey. And I may or may not have been tasked by my editor to write uh, a, uh, a piece between those two. And that uh-huh. interests me too because it's like it's how it's um it's how someone wins and how someone loses, you know. Like you know, uh, we haven't seen Harrison have to lose yet, um, right. and by all accounts, she's lo- lost even less than Rousey from a judo perspective. Where, uh-huh. like a lot of these fighters, you, when they're undefeated, you can go back and look for seeds planted as to you know why maybe this change happened. You know, like mm-hmm. for Rousey, maybe more emotional uh, or non physical, I should say, um, in the sense that you know she didn't exactly react to losing bad. Uh, There's a history of that, right? That could have told you this. And whereas Harrison will be interesting because even though I feel like she may maybe built a last longer than Rousey, she's also been just as critical, but on a smaller stage within a win. So how does on a bigger stage loss, if she gets to that point, how will that affect her? Right. And not to get too far on that downhole and round it back to our list, Chris, but one thing I stumbled upon uh, when I was looking at the Weidman selection, which is not going to be the last one on my list, so I'll, I'll, I'll segue it with your pick here, is, sure. is maybe because it, it relates, right? Because yours is Rousey and home, and it was an undefeated fighter. And what I noticed going through this list, Chris, if you tell me if you noticed the same, but a lot of the biggest trajectory shifts, which could be a, a big marker when you're trying to you know, parse out this sort of a list, you look at a sure. career trajectory – and a lot of these mm-hmm. dramatic ones happen with undefeated fighters, which makes sense. Uh, yeah, you've got course. you've got one side of the sample size kind of setting you up for what we're looking for on this list, right? Mm-hmm. But is there something with being undefeated, both psychologically in Rousey's case and physically in the case of Weidman? And I'll include Maynard because he had a, a pretty damn yeah. good record into, and I, I teased it. You can't really nail it down to one fight. It's like that whole trilogy, right? And there's a mm-hmm. lot of fights that didn't make it because it was like a whole trilogy that changed them. Right. Yes. Um, like a JDS Velasquez, etc. Um, so it, it, Maynard was on a similar thing. And what I noticed with a lot of these wrestlers is a people don't realize that just because they come from grappling doesn't mean a they underestimate the miles, but b they underestimate how much head trauma is involved in grappling still, especially wrestling. Yeah. Um, and you see that because even though Weidman's is certainly Rockhold and Maynard's is certainly a series with Edgar, like we forget mm-hmm. that Maynard, you know was, you know, leaning on his chin. Maybe you could say that Diaz fight where he wanted a decision. That's the last time where you see his chin dependable. He's making really questionable decisions. He's not taking damage well even in that fight. You go to his UFC uh, debut, he knocks himself out going for a takedown, which is actually common with wrestlers. People don't realize. Yeah. It wasn't just a freak UFC. We thought it was a freak UFC thing. I know, you know, I was in, you know, I was still relatively new to the sport, so I was like, wow, I've never yeah. seen this happen. But it's actually pretty <laughs> common, and we've seen fighters do it since, right? And with Weidman, like I tell people all the time, you go back to the uh, Machida fight, he's asking his – even Machida and Belfort fight, his last two wins as a champion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's visibly asking his corner what he, – he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't remember the rounds. He doesn't know if he won. Like there's some scary shit. Even in the fight where he finishes Belfort, he's asking his corner what happened. Like so there's these little, there's these little seeds um, with these undefeated fighters where it's like they're undefeated but it's like – are they also predisposed to take the biggest falls in more ways than one? I, I don't know if it's an obvious thought I'm sharing, but 
It's just no, something no, that came across I this think list. On a, on a psychological level, that's easy to go for. And I think it's, uh, you know, who talks a lot about that is uh, Eugene S. Robinson. Mm. He has an extreme distrust of fighters with undefeated records. And I really, I think that's a valuable perspective to take. And then there are people who, you know, you, there's basically like two kinds of people. There's the people who don't deal well with loss and the people who, you know, they do, you know? And I think that it's easy for us to discount the damage taken during those wins. I think it's very easy to look at the zero and be like, nope, keep moving along. You're doing great. You know, you win, you win. You know, it's almost like a, like the win erases the, 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 the need for self-reflection on the damage that they took. It does. That's a very good shout out to Eugene S. Robinson. He's 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 the man. You know, I know he's been around forever, but I've, I've become an increasing fan of that guy. I don't know why he's been off my radar for a minute, but he's the man. Um, no, and and I agree with I agree with that sentiment absolutely. And it's just yeah, a very interesting thing to think about coming off this list. Um, almost as interesting as the fact that again, a lot of these not so coincidentally. There was some early head trauma. Even Rousey didn't she state herself that she didn't. There was a, a shot before that head head kick that happened. That, that, that put her on autopilot? Actually, I, I believe she uh, said that she was in a fog from the first hard left that she took in the first round. Yeah. I think um, – I, I don't want to – I hate to bash on Rousey because I know she's got a, a funny relationship with MMA in general. You right. Know? Sure. Um, but it is one of those things where you're like – I don't know. It's uh, she's. I would call Ronda Rousey, what they call in literature, an unreliable narrator. Yes. Great. Right. Perfect. I, I, perfect. Yeah. You know, that's the best way to put it. No judgment. Just yes. That is a thing that is real, both in life and in literature. I love. I love that term. That's a perfect term. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. That. That. that that's a great term there. All right. Um, wow, man, your list was awesome. There's th- three of five of your list. Uh, aren't even among my pool that's embarrassing for me to say but that just shows how nah, good nah, shows, shows how good you did sir that's props oh, sweet i feel good now <laughs> and thanks my number one and five tied together and like i predicted they weren't taken um mm-hmm. again very popular fighters but not an, and, and and very popular fighters who had very popular declines very long declines mm-hmm. and the crazy thing is this fight's not cited enough um because it's like Lawler Condit, where both guys are different, except this wasn't two-way traffic. This is probably one of the most one-way traffic next to Dillashaw and Barrow on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, except the person, unlike Barrow, wouldn't wear it on his face, although he would wear the scars, because he is so... And I mean this in a non-discriminatory or a non-negative way. Take the spirit of man. He is so batshit crazy that he went on to create many moments despite a losing record. That is Diego Sanchez... BJ Penn uh-huh. at UFC 107. When uh-huh. the reason why Anderson Silva or um, these other greats refer to BJ Penn, it's because for, for for one night in Tennessee, folks, in Nashville, UFC 107, December 2009, we actually got a glimpse of one of the best fighters on the planet. Really, it really was. It, it, it you know you could call him BJ Penn, you can call him. It doesn't matter what you want to call him. That night, that was one of the best. And it was just a picturesque performance. And again, to fit this theme, 
right when, you know, again, and when Joe Rogan still kind of had his, his magic touch ready, he was saying things at just the right time. He said, you know, Freddie Roach credits BJ as, as being the best boxer today in MMA, and he hits a slip counter cross, knocks, knocks Sanchez down and almost like out when you look at it. And he's like doing like a turtle tripod, and he's getting even hammered, and Sanchez actually goes out and drops and collapses again, and then gets pummeled by a ground, which by the way, BJ Penn, I forget how good his ground and pound is, because... And when he beats Matt Hughes the first time, he actually doesn't take him down. He knocks him down with a right hand, and he mm-hmm. rocks him with ground and pound. And Matt Hughes is actually unconscious. Like, he doesn't remember. That's why his RNC defense is so bad. And, you know, okay. BJ, obviously, he bashes Joe Stevenson. Like, again, back to my previous point, like, why didn't this guy just become a, a, a top grappler, pressure uh, wrestler? Yeah. Anyways, yeah. neither here nor there. He is just giving it to Sanchez. And, uh, again, unlike the Rousey home, because I didn't go long, so again, you can't unreliable narrator. It's not like you can blame anybody for not stopping this one. This is one where may, maybe you could have argued. I know it was Sanchez's spot; he was durable, but you know, um, yeah, but we're speaking from hindsight because if you remember, folks, Sanchez wasn't the Diego Sanchez that we know him here today. He only lost twice at this point. It was up at welterweight. It was a split decision to John Fitch and a decision to Josh Koscheck where I think he had staff during that fight. And again, unreliable narrators as fighters are, to his credit, he did beat Koscheck in the tough house. So right, right, those right. were his only two losses. Even as an amateur, he never lost. Diego was just, he was such a pain in the ass because uh, as a traditional martial artist, I would cringe, even though, you know, Goldie was actually right. I would quin- cringe whenever Oldie early Goldie commentary was like, you know, the best weapon in mixed martial arts is your cardio. And I'd be like, fucking, <laughs> fuck. And I'm sure Connor Rebush is probably doing the same. Fucking cheating athletes. You know, we're just, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we're yeah. sitting there. You know, and, uh, and Diego Sanchez was such a, he was a chin bully. He was a cardio bully, as the fight site kids say. I mean, he oh, fit yeah. all these tropes, right? So BJ Penn, you know, a guy who even at this point, um, he was a Marinovich era, but like, it was like, you know, it was still, what's his cardio like? We have a guy who's never been stopped. He looks like he's impossible to stop or submit. Like, Diego was also, like, competing at, at top level. No gi, was a black belt. Um, uh, you, you know, uh, under notable, I, I, I don't have the name, apologies. Actually, notable jiu-jitsu guy. But, like, this was, a, a you know, a, a scary matchup on paper, even though he wasn't, he was still technically an underdog. And, uh, and yeah, man, it was just one-way beating, you know. It was one of those, like, where they did the face change from Roy McDonald Lawler from start to finish. This yes. was the, the yes, other one exactly. that was just as – it was just as bad because Diego's face actually got worse after the fight for, like, a week after. It actually kept yeah. fucking swelling. Um, yeah. Yeah. And last thing before I kick it over to you, Rini, uh, is mm-hmm. that um, DJ Penn, despite – again, I'm, I'm throwing, you know, compliments up, up the wazoo – I don't know why it would be a career-changing uh, fight for him. It wasn't a beating. But for mm-hmm. whatever reason, if you go look at his record after this, mm-hmm. um, he is never the same. And, and, and actually, one last thing for 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 bring it up to you. There is a point that I always reference where Diego arguably went 1-9 and nine in his career. Oh, uh, right, right. And yeah, this was course. it. This is it because he loses to bet the pen. Um, he gets, you know, he loses to Hathaway, and that's another bad one uh, where he gets almost right. knocked out in the beginning with a knee. And then Hathaway just owns him. Uh, I can't. I, I'm pretty sure he actually legitimately beat Paulo Tiago. It was a really bad performance from Tiago, where Tiago gassed and he's getting slammed. He mm-hmm. obviously didn't beat Martin Campman, although the credit says right, he did. Right, uh, he right. loses to Jake Ellenberger. Uh, he probably didn't beat Takanor Gomi in that split. 
loses to Gilbert, loses to Jury, definitely didn't beat Ross Pearson, who he's credited to, loses to Ricardo Lombus. Yeah, all-time bad, all-time bad. And then he beats, like, then he finally, you know, uh, 10 fights later, finally gets another legitimate win, and Jim Miller, who is at the the worst. Yes, he is at the pit of his Lyme disease. And then he gets TKO'd by uh, Joe Lozon after that, and then, you know, hasn't won much since. So it's... You know, I was... I did scroll through Diego's Wikipedia page and try to identify, um, try to identify um, a moment. And I'm glad you did because I, I didn't feel confident enough to pick one uh, because there's something about his relentlessness that I felt like I couldn't identify. Oh yes, look like like Robbie Lawler. After the Condit fight, he looks like he's underwater. You know, he looks like Condit, you know, he can't take a punch the way he did. There's like, and with Diego, there's this weird, like, he's still got this weird intangible Diego-ness to him that you always see at flashes of, you know, it never fully goes away. Like, uh, we beat up Mickey Gall in 2019. Yeah. Beat the shit out of him like he was a little kid, you know? Uh. So I'm glad you got him in there because I couldn't, I couldn't quite put the narrative together. Well, it's hard. You could say that 145 cut really killed him too. But even though he gets the win to Jim Miller right after that, when he fought Lamas and he was on his deathbed, and like you know, he was like Instagram living it. It was crazy. Um, and you know, Michelle Pajeda, you could see where you know it, that that relentlessness goes away when he. And again, I'm not yeah. jumping on the. He was scared. He's taking the easy no, way. No, but no. if we're being critical and we're talking about the discussion we're talking about here. That was not Diego-like. And yeah, not, not to, poet- to poetically bring it back to Diaz Penn, it was a, a, a flip of the hat because, again, like I said, the pit bull analogy. Mm-hmm. And that, that fifth round, it's amazing because, you know, BJ's feeling it. It's like it's BJ's in his best shape ever. It's his only fifth round stoppage he'll ever get in his career, right? It's his only <laughs> good fifth round he'll ever turn in his career. Yeah, and, again, yeah. he's, he's feeling it. And the camera goes to him pre-round and he's going, yeah, yeah. And then he's getting the crowd into it. And then yeah. – Sanchez has to answer, and the camera goes to him like it's a dance-off, right? The production's like doing a mini dance-off while they're counting the round in. And when it goes to Sanchez, he's obviously battered, and he's still doing the mean mug, and he's still coming out, just like Penn was still trying to come out to fight Diaz in round three. But there's Mm -hmm. something different that even in his losses um, after that, you you really see it in that fight where it's that thing that Penn had where it was – you can't question the guy's courageousness, right? All the bad things you can say about these guys, courageousness is not one of them. But there is something you could tell. There is something that, that and I, I'm I'm the last guy to usually lobby this because what do I know? I'm not them. But yeah. if there was a gun in my head, and is there insecurity in this fight behind this fighter eyes or not? I'm saying yes to Diego Sanchez and BJ Penn, mm-hmm. which okay. is crazy because you never get that sense of Diego Sanchez. He's still putting on his face, but um, I don't know, man. Yeah, that that that, that fight was was uh, number one for 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 moi, I guess. Fantastic pick. <laughs> All right. So let's go to um listener list before we go to our honorable mentions. I think we did a good job mm-hmm. there. I'll, 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 recap. I'll recap it there at the end. But uh, as I switch over to listener list here, uh, at the PYN podcast on all social platforms. I won't pollute your feed if you want to follow us there. And uh, at Dan Tom MMA, if you want to get at me on Twitter, that's where I'm most active. Um, that's where I'll, I'll submit lists for the shows, mainly on Twitter. I've been bad about Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Another reason why you should add me, remind me that those counts hey, exist. Let me, let me throw this out there yeah, for people please. who need to hear it. It's okay to tap out on social media. I deleted my Facebook 
and I just logged out of Instagram and I feel better. Uh, I, Twitter, I need it for work. It's integral to my job, you know, and as I, and I feel good on there, you know, I do what I got to do, but it's okay to like take care of your mental health. It's okay to like, you know, if you feel like if you open an app and you're like, Oh God, then fucking turn it off. Log out. Take it, take a break. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I still have Facebook just cause the, you know, so family, I guess can take comfort in knowing I'm alive. I don't use it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instagram, you could argue for my work because that's how smart people should be marketing, I guess. I don't know. That's not mm-hmm. me. I'm too much of a boomer for that. Uh, I know all the articles in the past couple of years, especially since the pandemic, it's like how Instagram's unhealthy, which is great because it validated my um, negativeness just, just to some content? people where I was yeah. just like pointing out like the, fo- the the obvious. Well, I thought I was pointing out the obvious, like a FOMO fear of missing out. And if you're not in a, a healthy place personally, uh, whether it's you yourself and or your situation – um, yeah. It's actually probably a good move to do what Rini said, and you know, work on yourself and detach from the detach from the unhealthy noise. So uh, I completely sentiment that. Um, but yeah, as, as I say, we're gonna go to the uh, go to the mentions for this list. By the way, I, I tweeted this before, but I didn't realize I, I'm late to the party. But Instagram turned into QVC. Like I used to <laughs> the the old, and again, I'm not trying to be a you know mean-spirited sexist or anything like that but like the the old ladies that when i was a kid in the 90s growing up like that would watch qvc felt like such a complete the most opposite of on the human spectrum for me you know as if male and female were not different enough us males are, are animals we're we're, mm-hmm. we're i don't know how we make it you know uh we're so different from the female but but like i felt so different from that species fast forward to 2021 I'm on Instagram. I'm like, ooh, outdoor materials. What do they have for camping right. equipment? I'm like, right. I don't like. My girlfriend doesn't have to worry about me looking at big booties. It's just me, me buying stuff should be the big word. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a sucker. Your wallet's in danger. <laughs> I don't know when that happened, Chris, but like, it's QVC now. Is Instagram? That's so funny. Anyways, I'm old. Um, Alex Behunin. Alex Behunin. Uh, he does some uh, some good work there. What's up, Alex? He he he, he submitted to this list. He does um. JDS and Kane, and he specifies two and three, which mm-hmm, is perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Although it really is weird because, like, after those fights, even though there's a big layoff, uh, JDS's next fight is technically, you know, he shows up, uh, um, you know, in that era of 2014 where a lot of the Brazilians were sponsored by a brand named TNT, and I don't know what it did to their muscles, but it blew them <laughs> the fuck up. And uh, JDS looked uh, brand new in that fight almost, even though he took a lot of beating. But I, I agree. I agree with that one. Um, uh, go ahead. You want I, to say? I, I was just going to say that uh, it's kind of funny how even though Junior Santos took the most vicious of beatings, and yes, I agree that like it was career-changing, I also am marvel at how he had a better career than Kane afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And he put together a couple nice wins and a little streak. And yes, he, you know, he ended up getting TKO finished like in his last four fights. But I, but there was like, there was, he was still able to be like that top five benchmark, you know, only Overeem, Miocic, you know, Ngannou beat him, Blades, you know, like Rosenstrike, gone. Like the only people that beat him are the people who are like, oh, right around the title you need to hold the title top two top three you know like there's something like he retained he retained something you know uh and that, that's why i didn't put it on my list i, I definitely 
wanted to think about him, but I felt like, you know, Kane's career is worse than JDS's afterwards. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's exactly how I was able to cash some of my biggest bets on Fabricio Verdun when they fought because that narrative got so overblown um, of of Kane's greatness kind of built upon that narrative, right? Um, and then it, for a while it was like, you know, after five years went by and we're like, wait a minute, this guy's mainly been injured and the only person he's fought has been Bigfoot and JDS. And, um, and, you know, you forget about that. And kind of similar to Diego Sanchez and Penn, it's like Sanchez goes on a, is a clear mark. But at the same time, he does have wins. He still, you know, he has, he has more longevity and more fights than the guy who beat him up, right? Whereas yeah. Kane, not like just like Penn, but also like Maynard or Weidman or Rousey, uh-huh. he fits the wrestler, the grappler, the undefeated, long undefeated trope. And, the, you know, a lot of those common threads of flying high, which means for a harder fall, right? So even yeah. though he won, to your point, he actually did worse after this trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great pick. Uh, Robbie Lawler versus Condit. Both men went on bad streaks. We covered that. Great one, Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, Hunt versus Silva. Wow, interesting one. I'm, I'm guessing the first, the epic fight, Bigfoot Silva versus Mark oh. Hunt in Brisbane. I, You know, I thought about that. I didn't Wandelay get knocked out by Krokop right before that. You could even say that that was the – it was like those two fights, like just getting oh, no, completely uh, – oh, wait, wait. Mark Hunt versus Vanderlei is uh, – I think big, I think uh, Bigfoot Silva in Brisbane, oh, UFC fight night, yes, yes, yes. five-round that, war. That's on, yeah, that's on my list too. I, I decided not to put it on partially because there's that weird – thing of Bigfoot not being able to do like his testosterone replacement therapy for his gigantism. Yeah. But yes, that was on my list. Yes. Uh, Mark Hunt, Bigfoot Silva. You could also say Mark Hunt, Vanderlei Silva. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Great, great, great one. Yes. And a uh, great shout for that Crow Cop Vanderlei knockout. That was brutal. Um, Swanson versus uh, Choi. Um, ironically, that would be for Choi, right? Would it not be the younger man, ironically, or in there? You could argue because yeah, Swanson yeah. has been more active and had moments still. Oh, yeah, because Swanson is still like following a very natural aging athlete trajectory. I, I don't think, I think that, like, yes, he's no longer the elite fighter he was, but I think that he's like, you know, normal. You know, this is what happens. And I, I do feel for Dugo Choi, that, that poor guy. Uh, got his head caved in by Jeremy Stevens, and he had uh, actually a very good performance against Charles Jordan uh, most recently. And uh, Jordan had to had to come back to win that fight. And uh, you know, it was uh, I don't know where Choi's going to be next. You know, uh, I, I, I was really enjoying his career. And hate to see a young guy get derailed like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Finishing off uh, Alex's list here, he has Tony versus Gaethje, which was really close to making my list. Ugh, yeah. Um, but it re- really recent, but totally deserving, and sadly, maybe further proven right. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, he has Hooker versus Barbosa. Should have been career altering, but Hooker got better. Which <laughs> <laughs> is great. Man, that's true. That's true. I don't know if it's because so much of the damage was to the body instead of the head, but uh, yeah, good, good call. That was a, that was a beating that like, how did it not change your life? <laughs> All right. After that quick little uh, jump in time edit, we're back with uh, Danny Mitchell at Mitchell MMA. Also contributed mm-hmm. with his list. Up, or Danny? not really a list. Yeah, what's up, Danny? He uh, he says if this list, including two way beatings, Carlos. And Robbie were never the same after their war in 195. We we completely agree, Danny. 
Yeah, big time. Good shout. Um, and he uh, adds in a few one-way beatings to throw in the mix. Koscheck after GSP, great shout. Mm-hmm. Um, Weidman after Rockle, which I was just thinking, again, just kind of revisiting. I know we talked a lot about that, but just this theme of undefeated slash undefeated people from grappling bases. Like grapplers tend to, to last longer, you know, they look at Ortiz and Liddell, you know, Ortiz was right. eventually able to come back once they both get old. The grappling uh-huh. style works better as an older fighter, but yeah, it's almost yeah, like yeah. if you have too much success with it too early, it's, it's almost not good unless you're Khabib. Right, right, right. It, the wear and tear on your joints is, uh, you know, you, you can't stop that. You can't stop, uh, you can't make a joint work again. <laughs> Here's one I wanted to put on, but it, 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 if I'm being honest, it doesn't hit close enough to home for me. And I know there's people that can speak way better uh, about this fight and the time that it went down in. But uh, I even tr- tried to go back and watch a little bit of the Striking Truth because it reminded me of uh, it was David Loazzo and Rich Franklin, of course, that five-round yeah, epic war. Yeah, I saw something. I saw Danny mention that on uh, on Twitter. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, Great. okay. Great mention, Danny. Um, and to add to a submission one, Pierce was never the same after the Paul Harris ankle lock. I love that he threw a submission one in there. That's that's some low-key hipster stuff. I appreciate that, that a lot. Is, that is. I respect that. <laughs> yeah. That's very true too, man. That was a oof. that was a brutal one. Um, James Lawson at Jimmy Lawson. He's got GSP Koscheck as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawler McDonald. I'm guessing for the nose reasons, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Rockhold Weidman, great one. I like this one. Brown Brown Shaw. Technically, it's true. He got beat. <laughs> he took a beating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was more of a. A resume uh, beatdown, you know, like a reckoning moment. Mm-hmm. And this one's honorable mention worthy for me as well. He has Brown versus Jordan Mean, which Mean always had kind of a weird air of inconsistency about him. But if you look yeah. at his record, he really only lost like a split decision to Tyron Woodley and some submission losses when he was literally like 16 or 17 years old as a pro as a kid yeah. um, up to this point. I got I got a Matt Brown in my uh, honorable mentions. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll, we'll get to that. And the last thing I'll say to me, I remember actually, Mean actually came to Extreme Couture, uh, was possibly thinking about changing camps. He came in with his dad, Lee Mean, and uh, I wasn't there for the pro stuff because I obviously wasn't uh, involved in a pro practice for my own. I, I believe it or not, I did get the invite sometimes, folks. Back, believe it or not, this face <laughs> got the invite, but you you know I was too smart to take that invitation. Um, but <laughs> but he uh, but he did drop into some of the um, the grappling team practices, which was mixed with pros and amateurs and whatnot. Um, and we would have in the mix there. And uh, Mean did us uh, did work with us with uh, when, when Coach Neil was running those. And I just remember again, I'm not going to get into the history or whatever, but I just remember like his dad seemed like the scariest dude ever. I'll just say that like you could just really? feel <laughs> Lee Mean just peering through the cage, you know, uh, at his son. Like, I was like, whoa, that's a crazy dynamic there. He ended up not choosing to train at that camp before the Brown fight, but I don't think it would have mattered where he trained because Matt Brown just gave it to him. Yeah, Matt Brown was at uh, probably the peak in his career around that time. Oh, yeah, technical brawler Matt Brown. Like, you know, like it was, it was, it was he was going into his peak so much that between his round one and two, George Gorgel is having to tell Matt Brown, you're forgetting about your elbows. Like, when does Matt Brown ever forget about his elbows? Like, this is... <laughs> He's coming into his prime. Yeah, yeah. And then you just like put all of them into Means ribs in the oh, next round. Those downward ones. Oh, those are the those are the most brutal. Yeah, yeah. These motion elbows, whether it's the head or the it's so brutal. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yo, at underscore Whiskey Sour, my man, he's got Weidman versus Rockhold. Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Um, he's got Barbosa versus Edom. Edom, obviously, yeah. Oh, shit, that is a good one. Oh, it's it's man, Mark yeah. mental things, too. Uh, I don't want to say mental in a... a like uh, Wayne's, what, are you mental? Like no, like I I mean it in a in a, a legitimate way because I remember reading an article of like some disturbing shit. Like Adam, like he got into some kind of train or bus accident. I don't know if we were hearing about that, but it was like one yes. of those things where it's written like they don't want to say the guy may have tried to do it himself, but it's oh, one of the only man. things to explain that. Yeah, and then yeah. so I was really happy to hear him in other you know kind of uh uh. He is Liverpool, Northern England, right? Liverpudlian guys' corners. Um, okay. In the past few years, I've been really happy to see Terry Adam. You know, I believe even on Barbosa's last card, Terry Adam was there cornering someone. I don't know if it was Grundy or what, but I was like, I'm like, somebody please. I, I imagine they had to have crossed paths. It would have been cool to get like a buddy buddy yeah. photo, you know? Because it's not it wasn't just the physical repercussions, which a kick to the head, like we stated alone, can can shift a career. Mm -hmm. um, but the mental things that come with that, you know, um, you don't have to yeah. be a level of rousy fame, uh, which Adam was not, to um, right. to feel that effect. Right. You, you, look, we're all the main character of our own story, you know. Mm -hmm. um, ah, my man, Whiskey Sour gives Maynard Edgar some love. Maynard versus Edgar three. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, it's on my list too. Ten and zero and one before that fight, three and seven after. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, that's one where, well. Hard pressed to find uh, highlights for him after that fight. I like this one, Henderson Hua, both slash Hua he puts, but yeah, really mm -hmm. both. But they also both found ways to make it work uh, in their older career too. Yeah, I I looked. Hendo was one of the guys who I looked through, and I was like, oh man, he he just he never completely fell off. You know? Yeah, he almost yeah. beat Bisping in his last fight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I and mean, it's like, and it, guys like him and Couture, like, they were supposed to fall off on paper, like, way before they did, so it's like, how much should we even be, you know, yeah. you know, not that we're criticizing, but, you know, grading them, you know, how hard can we be grading them here, like, they, they overachieved in every count. You know what's the most late, the most impressive late career moment of Dan Henderson's uh, entire MMA run is the fact that he was able to throw a head kick against Hector Lombard. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Oh, he that was a head kick. I was like, you know, like, I, I, I mean, that he's one of the stiffest people I've ever seen in the cage. He's I can like, no longer complain you know, about not throwing. Has like head three kicks. moving joints. Yeah, yeah. I, I can no longer complain about not throwing head kicks if Dan Henderson was able to because I can't imagine. You know, I was told that my hip flexors are shot and worn down. Uh, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I can't imagine Henderson has any hip flexors left with all the wrestling he's done. So yeah, the fact that he did a a head kick like that, I'm like, okay, I I, I have no excuse for only throwing liver kicks to the body and just leg kicks. Like I just okay. Um, his last one, I, I didn't think people would put this on their list, and it almost made mine in a way. Um, but Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin, obviously for Griffin. Huh. And if you look at it, it's weird because I personally know uh, the strike, striking coach. Shout out to Joey Varner, a uh, friend of mine, one of my first coaches at Extreme Couture. Um, he was in Maynard's corner for those title fights. He was in Griffin's corner, and he okay. was one of the main training partners uh, as well, even though he was a smaller guy. He was a striking specialist. And um, I don't know if it was him or not, but he was one of the confirming people, not just rumors here to say, like, I actually know someone from the camp 
in the camp, close to. He, he he was knocked out before the fight in camp, close right, to it. Right. And and it was doesn't take anything away from the beautiful backstepping jabs that Silva was hitting, but that was perhaps of why the KO was. And I'm also reluctant because you don't know what a guy's personal reasons for. I don't know if it was the fight per se. However, to the credit of the selection and my man Whiskey Sour, it was. I don't know about what you feel, Chris, but if you remember Forrest Griffin, he was just like. He was the character. Like I, I was rewatching all the Chuck and the last two Chuck and Randys, and they go to like okay. Forrest Griffin's cutaway after watching his guy Randy Couture get knocked out every time. I'm like, poor Forrest Griffin, but he was literally, you know, they put him on the Mickey's can right before the Shogun right. fight. Like he was literally being pushed, whether he liked it or not, as the new poster boy. And yeah. he, by that nature, I'm sure he was due to get burnt out. But I feel like it was more of a psychological burnt out than a. It could have been physical too. But I remember Forrest was was not at the gym at all, and when he came back into the gym and one one of the classes, it was actually like a group class, and he was literally he said so himself. He was close to three hundred pounds. It was the fattest I've ever seen for. And now that he's like been a, in a in shape guru kind of a guy, he went the opposite of most retired athletes. So he, yeah. I can easily say he's never been this heavy. You almost didn't recognize him. Like he put on a fat suit. Like he was very depressed. And if you look at all the fights since, they were he got wins. But they, like that yeah. Rich Franklin, he didn't give a fuck. He was just not even fighting like Forrest yeah, Griffin. He, he was just taking him down. Top position. Yeah, yeah. He, his heart, he was not into it. He seemed pissed. He didn't want to talk to fans. And he I, was a guy that would like shoot the shit. Like he would talk to a nobody like me and tell me a funny story after practice. Some stupid kid hanging out at the gym. He, sure. well, he wasn't a dick or anything. But he, he, you could tell he just he had no time. He gave no fucks after that fight at any level. Interesting. In the public, out of the public, I don't know if you saw that or anybody listening noticed that, but it was a, it was fucking huge for me. Cause I was, I was no, a big Forrest Griffin fan. Props I was to like, whiskey, man. that uh, that escaped my uh, escaped my attention. It's a great pick, great great whiskey. Um, sound of violence, guys. Give us a hey. Shout out to TSOV. Um, let's see any more. Oh, uh, S- silver uh, at twenty seven silver. Dillashaw Barawi has. We got that one. Good. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting one because this guy fell off, and where did he fall off? Another guy undefeated for a long time, grappler, fell off hard. Johnny Hendricks. He cites Johnny Hendricks. Lawler oh, won. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I kind of disagree. I, I saw that on Twitter actually, just because the second Lawler fight was also a banger. You know, I know Johnny started to lose it and just basically hold him up against the fence at the end of the fight, but. It just it was just a, the, the the his fall off was more dramatic, but I can't say I, I can identify a particular fight just because he had a great he was he was still a great performance. Um, yes, uh, I think Johnny's career is a different kind of tragedy than the one we're talking about today. Yeah, I mean it, it's tough. I, I could see some people pointing to the, the Stephen Thompson fight. But I would say I would say though I would say no because I I, I was probably one of the people, and uh, I don't know if Luke Thomas ever got this email, but this was like when I was like you know I wasn't working for him. I was just I I, I remember emailing him, um, showing him my work for it, and when it and when it was when it was right, I'm like, hey, did you did you see this? Because it was one of those breakdowns where I actually called called it like like exactly how it happened, like a a, a, a Shevchenko home fight or something where you can read the pre breakdown. It sounds like I wrote it after the fight. So right, I was kind of right, proud right. of it. And, like, if it, shout out to MMA Analysis, who I always shout on this. But even, like, I remember, like, uh, sharing it with uh, Lance Fischel. And, 
even him as a joke, mm-hmm. everyone knows how he is, his, his online presence, not the most serious guy, but even he was like, he followed me back after that because he was like, oh shit, you actually know what you're talking about. So uh, that one wasn't a surprise to me, uh, as I dare throw myself a little compliment there, I guess, which feels okay. gross. But um, I, 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 I will give him credit, though, for the Lawler-Hendricks one fight because I believe it was weird because those two ones where it's like you – you could argue Lawler actually won the first one and, and Hendricks won the second one, but the judges went opposite. Yeah. And in the first one is where Johnny really makes that big weight gain. I talk about Forrest, the biggest he ever got. Uh, I believe that Johnny, even in his middleweight late career days, the biggest he ever got was, I remember he tears, tears his bicep in that first fight, right? So perhaps that's an excuse. The champion life, the ego, he's on that very peak of that undefeated grappler, not a lot of resistance, Got his, even got the calls in college going his way, etc. right? Mm-hmm. Really just testing the limit of BJ Penn style. How much do I really need to train? He puts on so much weight. I remember UFC had a pool party and someone was joking like this is the UFC welterweight champion. And it was a picture of Johnny Hendricks with a with a, a golf polo, glasses, and he's super fat yes. with a baseball cap. And, yes. like So that, yeah. that that's why I, I do kind of give a lot of credit. If I had to pinpoint, you're right. Hendricks is a tough one. There's a lot going on there. But yes, credit, credit, credit to that pick. If a gun to my head, maybe I go the same way too. Um, he goes Rockhold Weidman, which we discussed. Romero Rockhold, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I, a lot I, with I Luke too. Go ahead. It's a hard one, hard one to sure to choose. I don't feel like for me the 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 criteria for these fights is you have to be see like there's a dividing line. Where mm. something happened before this, the fighter was one way before this fight and a different way after. Mm. And I kind of felt like, I don't know, Rockhold is his own thing, you know? Yeah, he, he kind of would always like take his, his losses he's hard, just, wouldn't he? He's, he's on his own journey, and it's MMA is like part of it, but not not integral to it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, um, I agree. It's a hard one to call. Plus, Rockhold's outside the factors, right? Outside of the cage factors with him, right? Mm-hmm. That could be distracting him. Um, he also whether says, "Oh yeah, go ahead." Whether I was it's what? Say whether it's pay, you know, like he's got some other stuff that yeah. kind of impedes him, and rightfully so. Look, I, I don't, I got a regret, respect for any fighter who is willing to speak up about their pay. You know, the, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not going to front on anybody for that. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, it, we use the word marketable so often, but. He is a dude that is absolutely marketable in his defense. So, you know, oh, yeah, totally. is, is it surprising that a world champion that has all those attributes, like you got to be really lucky and fortunate and privileged to get in that spot in the first place. Like, do you, you know, if you, the fact that, you know, uh, yeah, it's hard, it's a hard spot to get to. I don't, I don't blame these, any fighter for asking for more. Uh, speaking of asking for more um, and getting distracted perhaps outside, although, you know, this is a fight. If you're going to point to one fight, Usman versus Tyron Woodley finishes out. Yes, list. that was on my, yeah. That was one of my one of my on my list. Like, oh god, yeah, that's a brutal one. A brutal one. It reminded me of the Penn Diaz one in the sense of like, you know, Penn, Penn after that fight and Woodley afterwards, where it's just like, there was no excuses. He really got dominated. He really got beaten. You know, and yeah, yeah. and you really see Tyron. I don't know if he ever stumbled with that. And he had that great effort against Luke, which I don't want to. You know, discount. Yeah. Other than that, he's been pretty much a shell of himself. Um, yeah, last one uh, at Zimo15. He says, "By no means beating in traditional sense of term MMA, but my first thought was Mighty Mouse and Henry Cejudo. Crazy. 
Um, it was one person was beat technically, and their career was arguably altered. Yeah, um, you know what? Props to them. That's the most original <laughs> and incontrovertible example. That man lost, and then they turned different. And I, you know, I, I you know what? Them. You know what? They fit the criteria of the title of this episode, and I, you know what? You, you got me. You got it. You got it. <laughs> All those shout outs to uh, Ed Gallo and, and his scoring uh, podcast because uh, you know, and I suggest people listen to that if uh, if they're not that if they think Cejudo beat him, but if they're really confident Cejudo beat him uh, within the scoring criteria, that, that's worth a that's worth a rewatch in my opinion. Wow, that does listener lists, Rennie. Uh, awesome. Now, just some honorable mentions before we get out of here. I don't really have many after that, to be honest. Is there any that that we missed or the listeners missed that's on your list? Uh, there's. I got three, and two of them are Anderson Same. Silva fights, and these are the kind of things where you, you know, they, number one, Anderson Silva, Chris Levin, just for the numbers, Levin is fifteen and two before the fight, he is seven and ten after the fight. Wow! And I know that you know that 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 kind of struck me. I was like, Oof, all right, that is, and I you know. I don't, I don't know why, you know, maybe it's because he was fighting on the regionals and he was like, you know, when you work your way up, you know, I feel like this happens for a ton of fighters and, and for elite fighters, this happens, you work your way up to a certain level and then you, that's it. You only fight elite fighters from then on. And so many of them have 500 records or, you know, in that range, not because they're not good, but because they're, sure. they're so good, they can only fight other good fighters. Uh, and another other Sanderson Silva one is Anderson Silva versus Rich Franklin, whether it's one or two. And it wasn't so much like the damage that he took in the fight so much as that it put him in like no, no man's land, you know, like he, you know, there, there used to be the running joke of yeah. Franklin, weight. you know, he just kind of bounced. Like, that's why he fought Forrest Griffin. He's like, I'll fight a 205. He can't get shit done at 185 as long as this guy's here. And uh, my last one, John Jones. Shogun Hua. Oh, yeah. Yep. One of the hardest yes. to watch, you know, for, for a certain type of fan. Yeah. Know? Yeah, that's the end of an era right there. That's Bye where my Hua one would come. <laughs> that's where my Hua one would get in my head as far as career altering probably would come in that fight for sure. Yeah. I mean, that was a beating. That was, that was the, the end of that man's career as a certain type of fighter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I know the injury produced uh, bad fights against Coleman and, and Hua or Griffin, but aside from that, he was pretty much all aces um, as far as athletic potential. And props to him for reinventing himself. He had that really yes. cool streak, getting a couple cool wins, but against a different caliber of opponent with a different style, which with like, it's pretty cool when you see somebody become the savvy veteran. You know, I always enjoy that kind of thing that's like as close as mma gets to aging gracefully yeah that's true man i don't know it's like from this list i'm getting to learn it's like either take your losses early or spread them out <laughs> i feel like right geez. right right because right, right. you're gonna fall when you do fall it's gonna be hard it's like yeah well less people know how to beat you but you also have less tools for your own course correction so if you're doing something that could lead you to diminishing returns or is not good for you you won't find out until it's too late rather than someone teaching you that lesson early in your career. Just a perspective, maybe, to look at it. But Yeah, yeah, great point. Great I'm not saying point. go out and lose. No one will want to, want to go out and lose. But I'm just – if you, we're looking how things work out. And this kind of mm – -hmm. there's a lot of common threads here. And I don't know how much of it's coincidence, right? And then, and, and that's what's cool about this show and uh, a fast-growing sport of MMA is we don't yet have the sample size to cross-section. 
But when mm-hmm. we get it in front of us, it's crazy, you know, like with the trilogies, like um, all trilogies, except all the trilogies that I, I, I literally went through all I could think of and UFC and non and only five of them, um, the older fighter bested the younger fighter in it. And those were all either at heavyweight um, or um, uh, in a, a, a female division. Oh, interesting. Other, uh, other than that, uh, pretty so pretty much across the board in, in the majority of weight classes, 90% of the weight classes, 90% of results across the board, regardless of weight class, the younger person is getting the better of it. So who's younger, um, Poirier or McGregor? It's funny. Poirier is younger by six months. They're Yeah. Okay, they're, born in, okay. they're, they're born in two different years, but it's really close. Yeah, Poirier is just barely. Uh, Poirier is 89 in January, I believe, and McGregor is 88 um, September, oh, whenever the hell his birthday is. But yeah. So, I mean, it didn't change my pick, uh, tipping my hand there, time stamping. Okay. Uh, you guys would have already known my pick if you're watching this in the future, the future, the future, where it is all uh, UFC. <laughs> Stewart, by the way, great Beavis and Butthead winger reference. I haven't oh, seen that in thank 30 you, thank you. years. <laughs> I forgot about Stewart. Stewart's of the sport. Yeah. Um, I don't know I about wish, a, I wish more people got that one. Oh, dude, I was dying. I That brought back so many. I'm like, fucking stu- winger. Oh, oh! Just a drawing alone could make me giggle. It's 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 Stewart. Would you like um, to hear a funny story about that character? Yeah. All right. So I read this in an interview with Mike Judge. They created the character of Stewart, and they had him wearing a winger shirt. You know, and the original plan was that every time Stewart appeared on on camera, he would have a different band shirt. You know, which kind of like. I, you know, identifies him as like a not like a not hardcore metal fan. You know, he's like just kind of going from the flavor of the day to the flavor of the day. And I guess I'll either like a rep or an agent from Winger contacted Mike Judge. It was like, hey, man, we don't want our bands to be representative of like the loser, you know, you know, like this dork to wear our shirt. And Mike Judge was like, fuck it. He's wearing a Winger shirt every time now. <laughs> That is great. That's great. That's so perfect. I, I do love the. I, sorry, I do love that reference though that you silently did in the beginning. It's like that's so true. Like if somebody was changing their shirts too much, or or they were doing the thing where they wear the band T-shirt, they're gonna go see. You're like, this person's not hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that's great. I don't got a steward of the sport, but I got a shamrock of the sport for my three mm-hmm. remaining. Um, mm-hmm. We got through your three, correct? Yes. Yeah. I'm okay. Good to go. This one, again, better people than I can weigh on this time of the sport, but uh, Shamrock, Frank Shamrock versus Phil Baroni, because that's one where both guys admit they're, they're, they both their, their careers go on to differing degrees after that fight, if you look at it on paper. But both mm-hmm. men will readily admit that, that neither were the same after that fight. Mm, okay. From okay. the horse's mouth, so I, I had to write that one on there. Um, next one is, uh, I was trying to think of a female one and the most obvious example missed my head clearly of, of home, uh, Rousey, but, uh, I put Yen Jacek Penne in there. Oh, I know yeah, Penne recently a got a win, which was kind of, con- and I'm not trying to take, I like Jessica Penne, so I'm not trying to S on her getting yeah. a win. I'm happy for her, but you know, she arguably has not won since then. Yeah. 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 I understand. That is a good one. Yeah. That was a, like a coming out moment for, uh, Yen Jacek too. And then lastly, but not leastly, there's just ones here that would never fit, but they completely fit the criteria. It's just like this one was on my top five fights that should, should have been stopped sooner, which was um, Mike Pyle versus TJ Wahlberger, uh, which is mm-hmm. one of the worst stoppages. And you look, that guy was 27 at the time the fight happened, and then he just stops competing. Um, yeah. And no offense to TJ Wahlberger. I know he was you know, 
big in the Texas scene, whether it was grappling or MMA, but like not exactly a notable name or a notable career uh, from that sense. Sure. So he didn't make the list, but there, there's plenty of those examples too that like, you know, you know, they just, the, the beating really did, you know, you know, yeah. it was really bad. So one that I had thought about uh, listening, but didn't was uh, Gavin Tucker and uh, Rick Ooh. Glenn. That was one of the more recent, uh, but you know, Gavin Tucker is young. His career is still, you know, has yet to play out. Although he did suffer that terrible, uh, rapid, like what, a couple seconds KO Lost, yeah. to Dan Ige. Yeah. Uh, that was the loss to Rick Glenn is one of those things where I was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. I yeah. don't like what I'm watching. You know? Yeah. That was I rough. Wish, wish, yeah. Yeah. It was odd one. Yeah. We'll see how also Calvin Cater we're wishing him the best of course too, but not the timestamp yeah. this episode, but we're still waiting for his return. Um, and mm-hmm. for Max Holloway. So, here in the future, you guys already have that answer, but we're we're waiting to see and we're wishing him the best. Um, wow! So that this was fun. We're gonna recap our list before we get out of here. Uh, Chris had a uh, number five. He had Magni versus Lombard. Number four, he had Lawler versus Condit. Number three, Shamrock versus Fry. Number two, mm-hmm. Home Rousey. For his number one was GSP Koscheck. My list from five to one was number five, Nick Diaz and BJ Penn. Uh, my number four was GSP Koscheck, but again, you could you could scramble the next order however you want. They're that good. Number three, my number three was Lawler Condit. Uh, my number two was Dillashaw versus Burrell, the first fight, and my number one was BJ Penn versus Diego Sanchez. Wow, solid list, my friend. I think we did yeah, good. Yeah, very good. Very. Good. This is really nice conversation. It's really fun to talk about this stuff with you. Dude, this was awesome. I know that it, it's going to be even better when, when I get you back on in the future. Hopefully it won't be as long now uh, for Club and Subs. <laughs> if you're still down to do that, I would love to have you back yeah. on. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll time that for a volume three of uh, some fine art release. Huh? Oh, yeah. I'd love that, man. That would be really cool. I mean, right. Maybe there'll be like one in the book, too, that'll, uh, that'll fit, you know? <laughs> hey, man. Uh, b- believe me, uh, uh, more art, the better. Please keep it coming. I'm speaking for the masses. I'm going to do that this one time because uh, – we need more art. And again, if you guys want to follow Chris, uh, he's he's like me. He's pretty much only active on Twitter, at MMA at R-I-N-I-M-M-A. You can go to ChrisRinney.com, Patreon.com to support his work, uh, uh, forward slash uh, Chris Rinney. Um And Chris, your Twitch, uh, Fine Art of Violence, anything else in the world you want to plug, man, the stage is yours. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to spend July. I've I booked a consultant to help me set up a streaming platform for, for Twitch. Uh, I've recently started doing digital painting, so I'm like, okay, I can finally do this. You know, I have like the mic, camera, and the live stream from the iPad. And I hope to spend July learning how to set up a, a quality Twitch uh, setup. And then uh, August, I'm going to be with my kids for vacation. My my wife and kids are all going to be together for a while. And then September, I hope that both of my children will actually leave the house and go back to school. Uh, I have not known what that is like in a very long time. (laughs) And then uh, I'll probably stream in maybe maybe two days a week. I think that's a good good goal. uh, So it's Chris Reaney Art. That is my name on Twitch, twitch.com slash chrisreeneart. And Dan, thank you so much. This is an awesome, awesome conversation. I appreciate being on here, and I really appreciate all the work you do and the breakdowns and whatnot. But these top five lists, a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. I've spent many a time like 
cleaning my house, cooking dinner, and be like, oh, top five list. Oh, man, I'm good. I'm good for the day, baby. <laughs> oh, man, that, that means so much. And to be honest, like many people, like, you know, we end up liking, like, sometimes the most offshoot of our beat the most. And me, uh, maybe because I'm so burnt out from the schedule, which is why we do these shows, I, I'd be more than happy to just be like a top five guy, man, you know, like, and yeah, just do these yeah. full time. It would, it would be so much fun. Um, that being said, it makes it that much more of a pleasure when I finally get to do these. I always feel bad for not just you, but many guests that are on the queue forever. And it's, it, it, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's like a romantic comedy. It's not you. It's me. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's me. And it really is. It's, it's, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's the truth. Um, but, but understand because of that, I really appreciate uh, guests like yourself for coming on, making the time. Cause again, this isn't like something like you want to just come on and shoot the shit on my podcast. Like whether it's me on my solo shows or get like whoever, whether it's me as a host or my guests, like, unfortunately this podcast requires some work to go on. So I, I gotta yeah, make man. sure it's somebody that's a fan that can is willing to is, you know, they, they got to check some boxes to be able to, to come on, man. And, and you do. Yeah, so it's totally, um, true. it's totally true, man. I, I, I put the work in, I put in some research and I'm I like, appreciate oh, I got that. Like a couple five, four or five pages of notes, you know? Yeah. I want to make sure I do good. I don't want to come on here and look like a dummy. Yeah. But so between my self-esteem issues and the fact that I'd be assigning any guest I, I invite on homework, I'm kind of reluctant to invite people on. Like that's why they're, they're usually like people like I interact a lot with on Twitter or shoot the shit with like sure. Chris or someone, you know, and uh, maybe there'll be more art talk and that's be a re I'm not a Twitch guy, but I was going to say, I, I I may just follow that for you just for art stuff because I appreciate art talk. And maybe next time we can talk about, uh, you know, how, uh, how, how, how untimely drawing of uh, the X-Men at a, at a play, at a play park during a, a time when Columbine was going on may or may not have been my career altering beating as far as uh, getting away from art as a kid. Because of punishment oh, that I, wow. I punishment that I sustained on a pretty oh, serious goodness. level, so it's, it's, it's fun fun times. Maybe maybe there's a there's an Easter egg story for the listeners and and for you for our next for our next one. Sound good? Good good. I look forward to that one. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll be able to trade a lot of war stories. But folks, hopefully you enjoyed this. Again, our tags are down below. Thank you for liking and subscribing to the video. Daniel Tom MMA on YouTube, the Protect Your Neck Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five star ratings and reviews help. I promise I'll eventually be getting the Stitcher and SoundCloud, but kind of like, you know, kind of like Chris here, you know, we, we do things by hand and solo. We like, we're so used to doing things our way. We're a bit slow to make this digital transition. So please bear with us. Yeah. Support the yeah. good people putting in effort into their work and their art. And always protect your neck. Your neck. Leaving that in. Nice.